This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Episode one of the new season of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys from Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is the maestro of the matchup, the Corsi Authority, the Ad Drop Ace, the IPP MVP. Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. It's so great to be here with games to talk about. Oh my gosh, it's like Christmas in October. And it's so nice for you to give me all these plaudits going into this. I hope I earn them. I just want you to know that you put the MC in E equals MC squared. But Okay, I like it. I'll take it. Brian, you're going to do great. I am so excited as well. We've got like a crap load of things to talk about. NHL hockey started on Wednesday and now it is Monday night. And I feel like I was, I could have like written something about every single team to bring up to talk about, but we're, we're not going to do every single team, but we're going to get close. Then obviously we'll hear from like the people who are like, oh, why didn't you talk about the, uh, I don't know, Ottawa Senators. I don't want to talk about the Sens. We'll talk about that maybe next week. Okay, but we've got a lot to get to. Of course, before we start, let's mention that we are for this new season of Keeping Carlson proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there, so it's a real treat for us to be able to talk about them here. If you need any help with fantasy, that's where you go. You've got the tools at Frozen Tools, which we use to prep this very show, like line combinations, starting goalies, a goalie post. Plus, you've got articles every single day, including the Daily Ramblings, which I think is a really great way to just get up to date on everything that happened the day before. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. It's the best. But, okay, Brian, with that, why don't we just get into it? I think we'll just jump around the league and see what we find out. Sounds good. But first, you said crap load to start the show. And mm-hmm. when you tweeted, you said we have tons to get to. I'm just wondering, would you only, would you ever use the word crap load in a tweet or is it reserved for podcast? Uh, I think I could go either way. Do, which word do you like better, ton or crap load? Well, I'm busy looking up a, a thesaurus for crap load. And just because it's not an actual word, I'm having a hard time finding anything quickly. You also use the metric tons, which I thought was cute. Thank you. Okay, well, I don't know if everyone who's listening uh, read the tweet that I made a couple days ago, so I think we could just focus on the content, and I want to start in Buffalo with Victor frickin' Olofsson. 
When I was prepping this show last night, he was still only 37% owned on Yahoo. Then when I checked in at around 3 p.m. today, he was up to 44%. I just checked now 45%. So it's going up and up. If Victor Olafsson isn't owned in your league, you may be running out of time. And Brian, I don't know about you, seems like the real deal to me. After a great training camp, he remained on the top line, top power play going into the season. He assisted on a Rasmus Dahlin goal in the win over Pittsburgh on Thursday. Then he scored two power play goals in the 7-2 shellacking of the Devils on Saturday. He also had like 19 and a half minutes of ice time in that game. Four shots. Buffalo's playing tonight, so we can check in and see how he's doing then. But like, this, first of all, this isn't totally out of the blue. Like, Olafson was a point-per-game guy in the AHL last year. He put up four points in six games after getting called up at the end of the season. We talked about him all summer long, especially near the end of the summer, as a guy that we had on our radars. At this point, to me, he seems like a must-own, even in shallow leagues. Like, especially with the Sabres winning these games at the start of the season, why would they consider moving him off that top line in power play? And, like, especially since Jeff Skinner seems to be holding his own on the second line, and we'll get there, I feel like Victor Olofsson, tell me if I'm too crazy here, I feel like he has Elias Lindholm upside. And I'm talking about, that means potentially 70-plus points like Lindholm did last year, playing with similarly great line mates. I think that's a very apt comparison to be making except Olofsson has spared us the three years of wondering who the heck is this guy and why isn't he doing what we think he should he's just stepping right up and doing what we hoped which is crushing it on the top line in Buffalo my favorite thing by the way about Olofsson's 45% owned information from Yahoo is that it tells us that 55% of Yahoo leagues are clown leagues Olofsson is absolutely a must own in 100% of Yahoo leagues that's right all of them. We did try and hype Olofsson as best we could preseason and saw him go as a late round flyer in many leagues due to that near point per game scoring rate that Olofsson saw in the AHL last season, which by the way was his first in North America, but he's not some green noob to hockey. He's already 24 years old and I'm hoping that extra maturity lets him continue being a super own beyond just the first four days of the season. Now I want to back off just a little, because we, we still don't know exactly what Olofsson's talent level is. And he scored two power play goals on four power play shots, uh, both of which came against the New Jersey team that was clearly playing a little shook up, right? That was a rough night for the Devils. It doesn't necessarily prove anything about Olofsson's aptitude. But again, that Lindholm upside that you mentioned, Elon, feels right, given the fact that he's top line, top power play, uh, should be just entering or beginning to reach his prime. Uh, he's getting ample time with Eichel and Reinhardt. I'm still going to say out loud, by the way, that that top line with Eichel and Reinhardt, I'm not 100% sure it can last. Like if secondary scoring in Buffalo sputters, I could see them shuffling Reinhardt very easily off that top line to center a second line and help it succeed a little better. And maybe other pieces move with that too, including Olofsson. But thank goodness for Kyle Lakposo, Connor Sherry, and Jeff Skinner, because every single line in Buffalo has potted a five-on-five goal, and they are not wanting for secondary scoring just yet. So that means that I expect Olofsson to stay on the top line so long as it's working for Buffalo, which it is right now. So go get him. Wow, Brian, I'll be honest, I was kind of expecting a little bit of a cold water bucket to come out after my excitement, but it seems like you're right there along with me. Very excited. Hey, I just uh, added him in my cupful team, a $12 fab bid was what secured him. I didn't even need to bid that much, but I'm not even regretting it because I'm so happy to have him on my team. 
So, uh, like, I'm I'm reserving my cold water bucket, uh, perhaps for other players, because there's there's a lot of excitement. Like all through this episode, you're going to be like, "Can he keep it up? Can he keep it up? Can he keep it up?" And does this guy suck? Does this guy suck? Does this guy suck? I, I actually think I've got more of like the anti cold water this episode than the cold water. So uh, I guess that'd be warm water. I'm going to warm people up who are cooling too quickly to some stars who have had a, a tough start to the season, but more on them later. Yeah, we don't really have any of them in Buffalo to talk about right now. Like, of course, with Buffalo scoring all these goals, a lot of people are doing well. Like, Dowleen is killing it, Reinhardt, Eichel, basically who you'd expect. But then, of course, the big casualty you would think of Olafsson being on the top line is Jeff Skinner, who's been playing on the second line with Marcus Johansson and Vladimir Sabatka in the last game. But hey, doesn't seem to be affecting Skinner too badly. He put up five shots versus Pittsburgh, and then a goal and an assist, and six shots versus the Devils. Do you think if Skinner stays off the top line, can he still be a 40-goal scorer like he was last year? Maybe if Olafsson is the Elias Lindholm, then can Skinner be the Matthew Kachuk and still produce from the second line? I'm pleasantly surprised to see Jeff Skinner doing so well on the second line. And I think it's really to his benefit that Marcus Johansson is his centerman. And Johansson is someone who's this solid two-way guy. Uh, and, you know, he can't create the same level of offense that Jack Eichel does. But Johansson can still support both sides of the puck well enough to, I think, keep helping provide Skinner opportunities. And we've only seen two games so far. Uh, but Skinner's line has seen a 63% share of shot attempts while they're on the ice. I would love to see those results continue, although we can't really draw any conclusions from those first two games. But hey, it's better than a 37% share of shot attempts. Uh, To answer your question about 40 goals for Jeff Skinner, it's going to be hard for him to do from the second line. Remember that last year, 32 of Skinner's 40 goals came at even strength. And if he's playing even a few, like a a few less shifts tonight, uh, it's going to be hard for him to play enough time to get those 32 goals again, let alone when he's not playing uh, with Jack Eichel being another scoring threat who can also set him up and distract other teams, like take attention away from Skinner. Anyway, if Marcus Johansson and Vladimir Sabatka on the second line can at least just be solid and steady and responsible line mates, I hope Skinner can still reach 30 goals from that second line spot. But yeah, it's not as uh, likely that he's going to get to 40 goals if he doesn't find his way back onto the top line soon, which again, I think his path there is if the whole secondary scoring in Buffalo peters out and they need to use Reinhardt as their second line center. But I think Marcus Johansson could capably fill that second line center role. So I'm not sure if he's going to get another crack at the top line, which is a, a change in my tune from what, three weeks ago? Yeah, I guess you were pretty confident that Skinner was going to get back there. But yeah, why would the Sabres change it now? I guess a big concern could be that Marcus Johansson is kind of injury prone. So hopefully he'll stay healthy because otherwise they might have to shake things up a little bit. Like you said, maybe bring Reinhardt to the second line. We don't have to worry about that right now. One last thing on the Sabres, Carter Hutton holding his own in the two games he's played so far. He stopped 28 of 29 versus Pittsburgh, stopped 18 of 20 versus the Devils. Like we talked about in the summer, Buffalo's defense is looking a lot better this year. They brought in, you know, Yoki Haru and Miller and they got Montour at the end of last season. So like they have better players to help the goalie so that maybe, you know, Carter Hutton, even just being average, could actually, that could be good enough to help Buffalo win games and make him a valuable asset in fantasy. We also talked in the summer a lot about Linus Allmark maybe being a threat, but so far, you know, Hutton got the first two games. Allmark's playing today versus Columbus. Right now, uh, Columbus is winning 2-1, to one, so Allmark's already led in a couple of goals, and we're only in the second period. So... Uh, I don't know. Maybe Carter Hutton, we should have given him more credit. This guy might be someone that's valuable in fantasy if he's going to be the starter on a team that's actually looking like a decent team. 
I'm not sure we should have given Carter Hutton more credit last year. He didn't have a good year, and he deserved his numbers. Uh, And I'm still not sure how much credit we should be giving him this year rather than the team in front of him, which I think has improved, right? Just speaking about Marcus Johansson being there as a second-line center instead of it having to be Reinhardt or Casey Middlestadt. That's an improvement, right? Uh, And through two games, Buffalo had the second lowest expected goals against rates in the NHL. And that helped Hutton have an expected save percentage of 946, which it doesn't really get much better than in terms of him getting protection from dangerous scoring chances against. uh, But the downside for Carter Hutton getting such a great uh, expected save percentage is he didn't play up to it. He's still playing beneath it. So, This is how I feel about Carter Hutton. He's not going to be as good as an average NHL goalie would like in his workload. The good news for him would be if Buffalo has figured out how to play better defensively in front of him. And remember, Brandon Montour is not even in the lineup yet, and hopefully he will be a net gain when he does enter the lineup for the Buffalo decor. I still think that Linus Allmark is the better goalie, but I also see now a possibility that Carter Hutton can Devin Dubnik himself into a higher goalie tier through the season just by virtue of getting a lot of starts on a team that's protecting him well, but I'm not also I'm not even going to like really plant my flag and saying Buffalo is a team that really protects their goalie well because we're only two games in. Let's see how the next eight or nine play out. But if they do turn out to continue being a team that protects their goalie very well, then yeah, Carter Hutton could be like a Devin Dubnik type in fantasy. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, there's not much actionable like advice that we can give because Hutton's probably owned in your league. If not, definitely take a look. I guess he's not owned in all leagues yet. Uh, let's take a look at this New Jersey team that Buffalo destroyed on Saturday. They were looking great at the start of their first game versus the Jets on Friday. They stormed out to a 4 nothing lead with six minutes to go in the second. The Gusev scored a goal from his line with Hughes and Bratt. The Hall-Palmieri-Hisher line also scored with Vatanen pulling the trigger. Blake Coleman scored a couple goals, including a crazy one from his knees. Schneider was looking fantastic and then like mid-game it kind of all fell apart Schneider let in a couple of goals then he left the game with what turned out to only be cramping thankfully and then Mackenzie Blackwood came in and let in a couple more on only nine shots ended up taking the shootout loss then on Saturday uh you know Blackwood got the start and it was an annihilation of like Blackwood he let in seven goals on 36 shots my boy Gusev was bumped to play in the bottom six with Zaka and Bokvist leaving Hughes with Brad and one of Brian's favorites Miles Wood uh, none of them got any points by the way, the Hall Hisher Palmieri line struck again, at least. But yeah, a lot of these guys that we were excited about in the summer weren't doing anything. I, like at this point now, there's lots to dig into, but I'll throw a couple main questions at you. Like, first of all, let's look at the goalies. Like, what are your current thoughts on the New Jersey goalie situation? Like, we were talking about Schneider and Blackwood. Maybe they'd go back and forth. Maybe Schneider would be the starter, but Blackwood seems like a pretty capable goalie. Uh, he's been really bad right now. I think that thankfully Schneider's healthy, and I think New Jersey's seeing all the evidence that they should just try to ride Schneider if they can. So if people drafted McKenzie. Blackwood in their leagues? Is it time to maybe let him go to free agency if it's a type of league where backup goalies generally aren't owned? Or do you think that Blackwood is still someone that people should be holding, expecting him to challenge Schneider for starts? I don't know. The whole situation just hasn't gone the way I expected. And you, as a Blackwood owner, already made up your mind, right? 
Yeah, in one of my leagues, I dropped him. It was too... Okay, this league uh, gives you so many negative points for goals against, and he gave me, like, negative 60, and James Neal was a free agent who we'll get to in a little bit. I was like, what do I need this headache for? Like, I, I want people who are going to for sure give me points or maybe give me zero. I don't want any of this negative, especially for a guy who's not even slated to be the starter at this point. So, yeah, I let him go so you could give me heck if you think I made a mistake. I'm not going to give you a heck like the All-American rejects. After that last Mackenzie Blackwood performance, I don't think too many people... Wait, you just said heck, but you said crap to start. I'm not seeing consistency here. Those are equally uh, benign words. I think there's no difference one way or the other. Brian, you are really hung up on the word crap, which isn't even a bad (laughs) word at all. But please, can we focus on Mackenzie Blackwood? By the way, I have a feeling that you're about to say you don't think anyone's going to grab him. He was grabbed like right away out of free (laughs) agency. So that's that's what I wanted to know. So they didn't see him as Mackenzie Crapwood after he really (laughs) had a, a rough game. Didn't bother me. He could go. Yeah, I I just, like, I can see the reason to take a flyer on him. We learned that Schneider was just cramping, as you mentioned. Uh, No tangible injury to speak of. And so I hope that it's still reasonable to believe that Corey Schneider is healthy and that he still has a chance of continuing that great run he had to end last season. Of course, always buyer beware with Schneider's injury and playing history. But I, I get the sense that Schneider is the guy that New Jersey hopes can handle the job and that Blackwood is the backup just because uh, he's the backup. Like, there's nobody else to really pick from in New Jersey. Uh, In deep leagues where there's scarce goalies, I might still hold on to Mackenzie Blackwood like another week just until we see whether Schneider is in good form after five, six, seven starts, which isn't enough, but it's enough to give us a better idea. But if goalies aren't gold in your league, I think it's fine to let Blackwood go. I think the bubble has burst on a lot of his preseason hype, And so uh, you don't need to worry about him being this flavor of the week that everyone's chasing. I think everyone will have moved on to other goalies by then. Maybe a couple that we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that that's it. I've given up completely on Mackenzie Blackwood. I just personally didn't want to hold him on my team and wait it out. Uh, Maybe you should. But right now, like you say, Brian, it seems like Schneider's the starter. Blackwood's not turning any heads. So not a great situation and not a good reason to own him. Okay. uh, And then, like, should people who own, like, Gusev or Jack Hughes be worried about all this lineup shuffling? And maybe that'll limit their chances to make a big impact? Like, are you less into a Gusev or Jack Hughes than you were going into the season, like, after these two games? Or is now just a great buy-low opportunity? for these guys. I should mention, by the way, Gusev was down in the bottom six in the last game. Already today, New Jersey had a practice, and Gusev was practicing on a line with Hall and Hishir. So back on the top line. So it seems like there's going to be a lot of shuffling until they figure out what exactly they want to do. For context, the other lines were Palmieri with Zajac and Jesper Bratt, and then Hughes with Coleman and Simmons. So I guess kind of a middle six going on there. So who knows? What are your thoughts right now on Gusev and Hughes, who were drafted by a lot of people and maybe are starting to concern them? It was a really interesting play by the Devils to load up the top line and then spread Gusev and Hughes across two others. That is not a line combination iteration that you or I had considered coming into the season, but it's nothing that set me about panicking, especially Jack Hughes. Like, yes, but you mentioned Miles Wood is one of my favorite guys. Yes, but Brett. I, he's a good, like, he's a top six winger in my books. So Hughes and Bratt playing together with Wood, that's a fine line. They're like line 2A, I think, compared to Blake Coleman, Wayne Simmons, and Travis Zajac's line 2B. By the way, that Coleman goal that he scored, like, goal of the year, right? We already, like, I would put odds on that being the goal of the year if we knew that there was an empirical way that that would be determined. 
Sure, it was a good goal. I don't know. I like a goal with more of like uh, teamwork. Like I, I like a, like some nice passes. Like I don't know if these individual efforts to me are going to crack my goal of the year, but it's always, obviously a matter of taste. That's just the cheesiest thing you could. I like teamwork. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like it don't... when everyone works together to succeed. It's harder. It's really hard to uh, get a bunch of people to all click and make an impressive hockey play. Like Connor McDavid, he had a pretty good goal in his first game. He like split the defense and went in. He didn't fall. I guess he got a fall to crack Brian's books for goal of the year. <laughs> if you fall, you are top five, guaranteed. Uh, okay. Like even if it, okay. Uh, where were we? Oh, Gusev. You said you're not worried about Gusev or Hughes. You think they'll be yeah, fine? Yeah, buy low on Gusev. Like, this is a crazy time. Like, there's a lot of times in this episode, Elon, where I think you're going to ask me, like, buy low or sell high. To do that, the the price like in the market would have had to actually change, and I just don't know that's happened. So go ahead and buy low on Gusev if anyone is crazy enough to give up on him based on line combinations from one single game. Also, by the way, we should mention on that top power play unit. I don't maybe you did already. Sometimes I do this, but Wayne Simmons and Travis Zajac were on a power play unit with Taylor Hall and Kyle Palmieri. So uh, like Sim- Simmons could be an interesting depth add if that if that deployment keeps up. Well, yeah, but you're referring to the last game, right? They already have been shaking things up in their latest practice, so I wouldn't yeah. rely on anything. I think in general, whenever a team loses 7-2, to two, you should expect that the lines might be different in the <laughs> next game. So, yeah, a little helpful hint. I just kind of feel like, Brian, you haven't been watching our Twitter feed if you think that people aren't panicking about Nikita Gusev, because we've already had some questions, especially when we were tweeting about, like, grab Victor Olofsson. A lot of the options that we want people like oh should i drop this guy for him should i drop this guy for him uh, a few of them were like should i drop nikita gusev and it's kind of tough who would you pick right now between gusev and olafson if you could only have one of them gusev okay so there you, you? go by the yeah i'd probably probably gusev but i'm, I'm really excited about olafson I'd, I'd rather just have both if possible and suggest you <laughs> drop someone else which is obviously the easier answer uh by the way you could tweet at us at keeping carlson we're giving you advice whenever you need it so throw it out there we'll get back to you i promise okay uh let's go to that winnipeg team that stormed back against the devils on friday that was actually their second game of the year after losing to the Rangers 6-4 on Thursday. The Jets also played yesterday, and they lost 4-1 to Thomas Grice and the Islanders. So if you're keeping track at home, that's three straight games, letting in four or more goals. And I guess this was to be expected with Truba, Myers, now Bufflin, like all gone from the team. And to make matters worse... Josh Morrissey was a late scratch after suffering an upper body injury during Sunday's pregame warm-up, though actually I just saw today that he's fine and scheduled to play. But still, a little bit concerning if Morrissey's already having some aches and pains and bumps and bruises. And then to make matters even more worse, for Connor Hellebuck owners, he hasn't even played since his five goals against on 31 shots on Thursday. Laurent Brossois got the Friday and Sunday starts. So it's like, at this point, should Hellebuck owners be trying to sell and get away from him immediately? Like, this team appears to have crappy D, and Paul Maurice seems to be more than willing than ever to give a start to Laurent Brossois if he thinks he'll do better. Like, maybe this is going to be a tandem situation. And, like, I'd be very concerned if I was a Hellebuck owner right now. If I could trade him for someone who I could consider a little bit more reliable, I would try to do it. Speaking about their decor is, I think, where we need to start this conversation about Winnipeg goaltending. There's no doubt that, like anyone who has ever taken snowboarding lessons, Winnipeg is hurting hard on the back end this year. Let's not confuse them, though, for ever having been the best defensive team. Last season, the Jets finished with the eighth highest expected goals against rates at five on five, so they already weren't in a good place. But Sons, Bufflin, Truba, and, well, temporarily Morrissey, uh, they've slipped into the top five highest expected goals against rates numbers early this season. Uh, That does not 
necessarily mean that Hellebuck has been an awful goalie. He has not had the best production, but it also does not absolve Hellebuck of all blame because he has been legitimately awful too when you dig into well, the numbers. To but, be fair, it was, it was one game. Like, I don't know if I want to say he has been awful. He had a bad game, for sure. I mean, all of this is based on between one and three games, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, sure. he's... I, I mean, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at his save percentage compared to his expected save percentage and seeing that he's underplayed his expected save percentage by 65 points, which is really rough. Like, And, and, that's, and that's at five on five, and it's not going to last all year, but it is what... The numbers that I have to point out to answer your question. Uh, and I think Hellebuck is lucky that Laurent Poisson, uh, that. You blew it. <laughs> Try it again. You could do this. Laurent Poisson has stumbled with two sub 900 performances. And that didn't happen so often last year when Poisson was this really reliable spot starter. My guess is that the Jets, like, if you own Hellebuck, the Jets still believe in him the same way you want to. And they still want him to get right the same way you want to. Uh, but I feel like maybe he's got a little less rope to work with. He's been uh, okay or worse than okay for over a year now. And maybe it's time that they try and send a message that, hey, Connor, you're going to have to earn this number one job. Uh, I would be like, I'm not the sort of person who would have invested a lot in him in the draft. If you are that person, I understand that you're concerned, but you can't panic yet, right? You invested that much. There's nothing you can do about it. If you want to go for the cuff with Boissois, maybe that's something you consider. But I think it's even too early to think you're going to need it the rest of the way. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see with the Jets. But man, this decor, like, even with Josh Morrissey healthy, I do have to ask you, should people maybe rush to grab Neil Pionk? Like, he's looked good so far. He scored a golden assist versus New Jersey, played 27 minutes in that game. And then with Morrissey out yesterday, Pionk got top power play time. He didn't do anything with it, but it was nice to see him get it. Uh, he's had six shots, six hits, four blocks through his three games so far. So decent peripherals, uh, especially if he's going to be playing all these minutes, you'd expect him to be able to get decent peripherals, right? So uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Pionk? Morrissey's healthy, but still, I just kind of think that this is the kind of guy you might want to add, and that's not what we were saying over the summer. It wasn't because we thought that maybe he'd be limited to third pairing minutes eventually, but he might start out on the second pair because the Jets want to show that they got some value back for Truba. I don't know if that's their motivation here, but Neil Pionk led the Jets in time on ice in their last game, and he saw only 20 seconds fewer than Morrissey in the game before that. So it looks like Winnipeg does want to lean on him. And so there is that peripheral upside there, uh, which makes him uh, someone you need to consider owning. I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, if he keeps getting this workload that he's going to be exposed as being someone who can't quite handle it, especially at five on five. I see him fitting better as like a power play specialist type player, not somebody who really should be facing other teams' best players. But I guess we'll see if the Jets find a way to coach Pionk into a better defensive player than he was in New York. And by the way, we can't talk about Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk without providing a Sammy Niku update. Niku has two assists in two games with AHL Manitoba so far. Dot, wow. dot, dot. 
I mean, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. I, I think that they're just wondering, like, when's Bufflin just going to make up his mind already? That would really help. Uh, by the way, Ehlers and Line a have both been taking turns on the top line with Shifley and Wheeler. Like, they both played there yesterday while the other was playing with Kyle Connor and Andrew Kopp, who's been centering the second line with Brian Little injured. Uh, but anyways, everyone's kind of looking good so far. Like, Ehlers and Line a, uh have four and three points, respectively, in three games. Connor only one goal, but lots of shots. I'm not worried about him. So, I don't know, something to watch. In practice today, it was Patrick Line on the top line with Shifley and Wheeler, and then Connor with Kopp and Ehlers. So maybe that's what's going to happen in the next game. I don't really have any questions for you there. Just thought people might want a Jets top six update. Uh, let's now go to the team that beat the Jets in that opening night game, the New York Rangers. The, the, the one game Game that caused you to say that Connor Hellebuck is having a terrible season, but hey, maybe he's not to blame. Maybe it's the New York Rangers because this team is looking very offensively capable. Like such a great start to the Panarin era for the Blue Shirts. He had a goal and assist in the game versus the Jets, and then followed it up with another goal and assist versus the Sens on Saturday in the 4-1 win. And of course, he's been completely upstaged by his centerman Mika Zibanejad, who had a goal and three assists in Game One, and then three goals and assists in Game Two. So that's four goals and four assists in two. Two games for Mika Zibanejad. Wow. If you were a Mika Zibanejad owner right now, Brian, would you be looking to sell high on this guy who's right now like tops in the league? Or do you think he has a legit shot to maybe like get a point per game, maybe more by season's end? Like this guy's looking amazing. He's got Panarin. It's everything we hope for and more. We love Mika Zibanejad on Keeping Carlson, right? We've liked him uh, going back a while, especially when he moved to New York. And we've had no problem saying that Zibanejad has got a shot at a point-per-game pace. I projected him for 80 points in our almanac to begin with. uh, So I don't know how I'd be selling high on him. Like, okay, you can say, oh, yeah, he's on pace for, you know, 175 points or whatever. Uh not going to happen, obviously. I feel even silly having to say that. It's just the answer to your question in particular. Well, okay, fine. Instead of mocking my question, you could just ask me to reiterate. How about, like, like you know, let's say you could get, like, John Tavares for him. Or, like, yeah. you know, someone who was drafted, like, a round earlier. I mean, let's be clear. This is not going to continue for Zibanejad this way. I'm staying at 80 points. I'm not raising him because of this amazing start. He has four goals on 10 shots. His eight points on nine on-ice goals scored. So that's uh, too high in IPP. And he scored three of his goals against an AHL team. But again, Zibanejad is good. So don't sell high. If you can sell him for Tavares, I'd take that. Like if you can sell Zibanejad for anybody drafted in the first or second round of your fantasy draft, I think that's a pretty good deal. Like, you're looking at someone who's going to get 85 points or more. Uh, Good luck, though. That's not going to happen. You can't do it. Okay, so just enjoy Zibanejad then. Anyways, yeah, I was going to say, like, just hold him. I think, like, he's going to be among the tops, and especially with his shots, his peripherals. Like, this guy's going to be a stud. I'm so excited for this Rangers team in general and for Mika and Panarin. And Pavel Buchnevich, still only 17% owned when I was prepping this show yesterday, picked up two assists yesterday during the Zibanejad show. Uh, How would you not want the guy playing on top line and top power play with Panarin and Mika Zibanejad? And that is Pavel Buchnevich. And then on the flip side, much like his rookie count, Counterpart Jack Hughes, Capo Caco hasn't been a very exciting own through a couple games so far. He's pointless with only three shots on goal from his line with Kreider and Ryan Strom. Uh, like Caco's 83% owned in Yahoo. If you're not in a keeper league, do you drop Caco for Buchnevich if you have the opportunity? Also, is it too early for me to say that I think maybe Victor Olofsson has surpassed Caco's and Hughes's odds of winning the Calder at this point? Or am I getting too crazy? But okay, lots of questions there. Buchnevich, Caco, what do you think? Like, would you swap these guys? 
I would prefer Buchnevich, especially in the short term. I love what I'm seeing from Buchnevich, and the best sign for him so far is that he's averaging 17 and a half minutes per game, which is almost two and a half minutes more than he has in the past two years. Yay, that's great. And some of that is because of his extra power play time. Now, of course, we've seen this movie before. Buchnevich starts with good deployment, does something the coach doesn't like, gets busted down the lineup, never gets pushed back up it. But this is not the time of year to be worried about those sorts of things, right? This is the time of your fantasy season to be looking for guys who fit the description of a Buchnevich or an Olofsson, and you run and you grab them just to see how high their upside goes. You should have one or two roster spots essentially reserved for these high upside opportunities that might still be in your free agency. And if they don't work out, you'll likely have all the other free agency options that you're used to having through the season available like to replace them or an injury is going to happen and then another player in free agency is going to you know rocket up your desirability list the point is go for these guys while you can and if they peter out they peter out you enjoy them while they last and you hope for that upside capo caco is like the other side of that right i'm not going to get too down on him though his line has only put 12 shots on goal total through 26 minutes of five-on-five ice time. And that is pretty sad, especially when his line has allowed more than twice as many shots against. You've got to give his line time to figure it out. And Kako's upside still may be higher than Buchnevich's even this year, but I'd definitely rather Buchnevich for the next week or two. After that, it could be back up in the air. Uh, You know, if similar to what I was saying about Buffalo... Kako and his line, if they keep failing, that could also mean the line combos get shaken up to try and find the right mix for healthy secondary scoring, which could mean that Kako ends up on the top line. So really, it depends on how much of a commitment you want to make one way or the other to giving up on Kako or to taking a risk on Buchnevich. If I owned Kapo Kako, I'd make the switch for Buchnevich, but then keep Kako not very far away on my watch list. Yeah, fair enough. And also, that's just a hypothetical. There's obviously a situation where you could just own both. I just wanted to get your sense of who you like better right now. And yeah, so if Buchnevich is still a free agent in your league, like I said, very low percentage owned. You should probably be able to get him and you should definitely consider it. Brian, you said you've seen this movie before. The thing about movies is... It's really easy to go to the movies, right? Buying a ticket to a movie, you just like go to like whatever, Cineplex. Don't worry, this is an ad for Cineplex. But like you go, you know, you go there, you buy the ticket, it's so easy. You show up, you could always get in. But it's not like that for some reason with sporting events and concerts. You know what I mean? Like these ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult. It's almost like they do, they're doing it on purpose. It's as if they're so big, they feel they could get away with not caring about the customer experience. They're like, what else are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what else you can do. You could use our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a company that cares they make the experience of getting tickets fun and easy with millions of live event tickets and price match guarantee SeatGeek proves there's a better way you can search sports live music comedy and more SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place in an industry that tends to stagnate SeatGeek decides to stand out from the crowd and they do a great job at it Brian I really like it I could just take out the SeatGeek app search what's going on in a place you could sort the prices by value to see if I'm actually getting a good deal or not and Brian I actually did take a look at New York because we were talking about the the Rangers and man I kind of want to go to New York right now there's some fun stuff going on why don't you try to guess which of these New York attractions would cost the most money I'm going to throw three options at you number one you could go see the Oilers at the Rangers on October 12th you could go see Connor McDavid versus Artemi Panarin and Zibanejad oh my god that's going to be fun right okay or you could go see a preseason NBA game the Wizards at the Knicks 
or you can go see Billie Eilish, who's so hot right now. So uh, what do you think would be the most expensive option of the three? Uh, oh, gosh. It was easily the preseason NBA game has got to be at the bottom. So it's the Oilers or Billie Eilish. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to go hockey. I'm going to say the, the Rangers-Oilers game is the most expensive ticket. Ding, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yes. Brian, you nailed it. That's right. I'm not going to start the first episode of the season and not give it to the hockey game. Yeah, but still, pretty cheap. A hundred bucks, basically. You could go see the Oilers at the Rangers. If you go on SeatGeek, Billy Eilish at 88, and then you were right, $46 for the preseason Knicks game. So that was a, a fun game, Brian. Good job. You won this time, but you know who else could win? Our listeners, because they could get a special deal right now if they buy tickets on SeatGeek. They can get it right now, or even in a few minutes from now, all they need to do is, at their convenience, or at your convenience, Dear listener, uh, you can get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase by downloading the SeatGeek app using the promo code KEEPING. And again, that's going to give you $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. Get the app on your phone, put in the promo code so you're ready when you see a ticket you like, and bingo bango, save $10. SeatGeek. Yes, there they are. There we go. Brian, let's now go. Actually, by the way, on the Rangers, uh, Ryan in the chat room here is telling us Vladislav Nemesnikov has been traded from the Rangers to the Sens for uh, someone I hadn't heard of, Nick Ebert, and a 2021 fourth-round pick. So I guess obviously a salary thing. Who knows? Nemesnikov, this guy could be a top-six guy on the Sens, right? So off-air, before the show started, what was the reference? Oh, Chocolate Rain. We were asking if anybody got that. I made an Ebert joke. About this, pl- this Sens player, Nick Ebert, I said his penalty that he took in a preseason game got a two thumbs down. <laughs> and I think, did you suggest that nobody got that? That Ebert, like Roger Ebert references cannot be understood in this day and age? Okay, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. <laughs> what is more something that you know about uh, Ebert references or Chocolate Rain references? Which one is something that uh, sounds familiar to you? Uh, Brian, since we're talking about the Rangers, let's talk about a former Ranger in Kevin Hayes, who didn't have an especially noteworthy game in Philly's 4-3 win over Chicago in Prague on Friday, but really did turn a lot of people's heads when new coach Alain Vigneault put him, I'm talking about Kevin Hayes, on the top line and top power play with Giroud and Voracek, bumping Sean Couturier to to the second line with Konechny and Limblom. Uh, Konechny actually managed a couple goals, but Couturier was pointless. And yeah, he was like bumped from the top line, also bumped from the top power play, like I said. Uh, we've been hearing from a lot of concerned Couturier owners. I know it's literally only one game, but it can't be good to hear that this guy you drafted pretty highly, expecting like 76 points, wasn't even on the top power play. Like no way he could come anywhere near 76 points again if he's stuck on the second line and the second power play, right? First off, not that anyone cares, but I personally don't mind what Philadelphia is trying with Kevin Hayes on the top line and Couturier on the second line. I also do not think the lines are going to look the same way by the time we record next week's episode. I definitely would expect Couturier to at least be back on the top power play, though even if he isn't, honestly, he may not fall so short of his power play production last year when he paced for 78 points. Uh, in 18-19, Couturier had just 17 power play points he could definitely get to within five of that number and then keep up his five on five production to still be above a 70 point player so i'm not even that worried about kutre <laughs> you're giving me a big a big eyebrow furrow there you don't believe that i mean i you think he could get as many even strength points if he's playing on the second line with konechny and lindblom versus playing with claude Giroux? i think he i think he is that good a player wow. i think he could 
handled it. It's a fair point, but I also made the point that I don't think he's going to be off the top line right. for very long. He's going to be playing with either Giroud or Voracek by this time next week. Book it or don't, because like we really need to see a lot more of, of how things play out. Uh, but I, I'm not so concerned about him being off the top line, top power play. If you find a nervous Couturier owner, that would be a fantastic person to target in a trade. I would happily take Couturier off their hands. And as for Kevin Hayes, I'm glad Philadelphia agrees with me that he's a legit top six centerman who deserves offensive opportunities. It's going to be very helpful for making my 65-point projection for Kevin Hayes come true. I have a feeling maybe both of your projections, Hayes and Couturier, (laughs) might be a bit high. But we'll see. Hey, Brian, I'll bet you that someone in the Keevan Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Tier 2 Ottawa division that you're in Someone owns Couturier, and I'll bet you you could trade for him if you want, because if I was the Couturier owner, I would be worried. You seem to not be worried, but uh, I don't know if I agree with you. I'd be very concerned with him being off the top power play. But I guess, yeah, let's give it a couple more games, see how the lines shake out in a couple weeks. Maybe we could bring up Philly again. Uh, then over on Chicago, the team that Philly played over in that international game, uh, Alex Nylander took quick advantage of a spot on the top line with Kane and Taves as he scored a goal in the first period. But I read the Roto World article about it, and they said that he struggled in the final two periods. He had no more shots after that one goal that he scored. So how hot of a commodity would you say Alex Nylander is right now compared to, say, a Buchnevich or an Olafson, also guys who are playing on the top line? Obviously, one big difference is Nylander's not playing on the top power play. Got to be worried about him potentially getting bumped at some point, right? And like, would you say he's worth adding in the meantime, or would you wait another game or two, even at the risk of potentially missing out on him? Depends on how much the ad costs you, right? If you're, if you, if you're in a league where you have limited moves and you really need to make sure your moves pay off, I wouldn't add him if you have to drop anybody whose value over replacement is notable compared to the rest of your free agent pool. I also wouldn't rush to add Alex Nylander. He strikes me as a very meh guy right now. And on the show before, we've reviewed the laundry list of players who've been tried and failed in primo deployment with one or both of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, Dylan Sikora, Dominic Cahoon, Brandon Saad, even Tara Vinen once upon a time, failed up in that top line spotted even strength. So yeah, Nylander is not a, a, a slam dunk in that spot. And he's certainly behind Buchnevich and Olofsson. He's kind of like a knockoff version of them until he shows some sign of having consistent offensive chops, which he has failed to do thus far. But to his uh, defense, he's been offered a very limited number of opportunities to show what he can do. So if you did miss out on the more exciting Buchnevich or Olofsson prospect, Nylander might be one of the next best options for you to be able to get that thrill of finding that little known guy in free agency who can break out just by virtue of their deployment. Yeah, I mean, playing with Kane and Taves, it's hard not to get points. The question, I think, to me more is if he can hold that spot. But hey, let's compare him even to another rookie on a good line. We got to talk about Cody Glass, who's now played two games alongside Stone and Pacioretty in Vegas in the spot that we expected Paul Stasny to play in. And like Nylander, uh, Glass scored a goal early in his first game versus the Sharks on Wednesday. It was in the second period. But then nothing really since. No points for the rest of that game and no points in only one shot in the return game versus the Sharks on Friday. So, Brian, how confident are you in Glass holding this spot and being worth adding or holding in fantasy people have already added him and how would you compare him to Alex Nylander so at this point with so few games played when I'm trying to answer your question all I can do is look for the subtle hints and signs about that might indicate what happens from here but the trouble is to know how much value or significance when I find those signs like how much weight should I give them like for Cody Glass 
One of the things I see that I could look at is that he played 68 seconds less in his second game of the season compared to his first game of the season. Another thing I could look at about Cody Glass is that he struggled in the faceoff dot so far. He won just two of his 10 faceoffs in his second game of the season. So now I try and figure out, okay, does any of that matter? Does Vegas care about this? Is it intentional? Like, do do they care that he dropped 70 seconds of ice time? Was that a purposeful action or is that just the way it shook out? Should his owners care? Like, I'm not totally sure. Clearly, I feel like what Vegas wants to do is to see what they've got in Cody Glass right off the top. Uh, I would love to know more about how they feel about what they've seen, but there hasn't really been a whole lot of questions asked since the season started about Cody Glass. So, Unfortunately, I have no information to relay to you. How I feel, though, is that he's in a great place to succeed right now, being on that second line. And if Cody Gloss, you mentioned he's not taking a lot of shots, fine, because you've got Max Pacioretty to fire away, and Mark Stone is a high-percentage converter. Uh, He's got those guys on either of his wings, so maybe he shouldn't be the one taking a lot of shots. Uh, How good a centerman do those two wingers really need anyway, right? So if Cody Glass can fill that second-line role, do a decent job of supporting those two wingers, and of course doing a little bit himself, and then Paul Stasny can go off and work to make another line more legitimate, then that's probably the best-case scenario for the Vegas Golden Knights. So I like Cody Glass to at least get a real shot to stay up there. In the short term, I'm definitely holding on and hoping that he can prove his worth. I kind of feel like that second line center spot is his to lose. Wow. Okay. So then in the Glass versus Nylander question, sounds like you're going with Glass. Yeah, absolutely. I think that he is the better hockey player. He might have more competition for his spot, but I'd rather put a bet down on him, even though you know how much I love Paul Stasny. Yeah, actually, I was going to go the other way, I think, just because I feel like Paul Stasny, how long can he play in the bottom six? Like, they signed him to this contract. Like, he's a really good player. I understand, yeah, now he could, like, help the bottom six, like, you know, anchor a line that's maybe good defensively. But, like, he's really good. He had, like, a 68-point pace or something last year. Man, so I don't know. Like, what do you do, actually, if you own Paul Stasny in fantasy? Like, Vegas has been feasting on Jones and Dell, and Stasny has nothing to show for through two games. Now Vegas is going to have to play non-San Jose teams. Like, if you own Paul Stasny in in fantasy, like, is it time to give up on him for as long as he's playing with Zekov and Brandon Peary in the bottom six? You know how when you're in school, there's that kid, and I don't know, Elon, maybe this was you, there's that student who's such a solid all-around kid, doesn't ask for and need much, uh, self-sufficient, responsible, and because of all those positive traits, they always end up having to sit next to the kid who's the exact opposite or is asked to like anchor groups of underachievers when kids are working together. That kid is Paul Stasny. If only he was needier or less competent, he'd be more locked into a top six role, but he's a Swiss army knife. So Stasny has these greater burdens to bear where he's sent off to make worse people better, which is why he's on the third line. It's because he can be, and he's more useful than just being plugged into a capable offensive second line centerman spot. I own Stasny uh, at the start of the year in a shallower league, And I dropped him. And if I owned him in a deeper one, I'd be very worried about him ending up or not ending up back in a fantasy-relevant place. If you still own him in a league where he should be holding some value over replacement, there's nothing you can do but hold on for now. I would drop him for someone like Victor Olofsson, especially since I doubt anyone is going to go race to nab Stasny off the wire if that's the kind of guy who's still available in your free agency pool. So I... 
the amount of caution or patience that you have for Paul Stastny really depends on who else is out there in free agency and how deep your league is. I think he's worth hanging on to. Like, we were really optimistic going into the year. Playing with Pacioretty and Stone is a fantastic place for Stastny to be, and he is no offensive slouch himself. He can be a 65-point player if he's on one of those top two lines. I kind of like the idea of him helping make that third line relevant with Zikov and Piri. Those are two guys who have some scoring upside, right? Like maybe Stasny is the guy that can make it work. I just don't know if this is an experiment, a short-term experiment, or something that the Golden Knights are really hoping lasts all year long. But I would be worried if I was a Stasny owner, more worried than if I were a Couturier owner. Yeah, well, for sure. And honestly, I'm even going to go farther than that. I'm going to say you could drop Stasny. I feel like as long as he's in the bottom six, you don't want him. And if you want to try to rush to grab him when you see practice lines come out that he's skating back in the top six, just do that. Like before he has a good game and then someone else grabs him, follow at game day lines on Twitter and you'll be up to speed right away if something changes. But for now, I think you could let him go. Uh, by the way, uh, one last thing on Vegas, I'll bring up Nate Schmidt got injured in the first game. He's week to week. So yeah, expect Shea Theodore to get all the power play time he can handle moving forward. I mean, if you weren't already expecting that, right? Like, we already thought that he was going to get a lot of power play time. There was someone named Nicholas Hag who got some power play time in the last game. He had nothing to show for it. Uh, he had, like, all zeros across the board except for 10 penalty minutes. So maybe you could look at this Nicholas Hag if you need pims and maybe a chance at a power play point. But yeah, I don't know. Not much impact here for Nate Schmidt being injured aside from just Shea Theodore has no chance of getting bumped. Uh, let's take a look at a former Golden Knight, James Neal, who's doing pretty good on his third team in three years in Edmonton. He uh, had a really good game. And Saturday versus LA, Neil lined up with Ryan Eugene Hopkins and Joaquin Negard on the second line, but more importantly, took advantage of Alex Chiasson being out of the lineup with an illness as he jumped on the top power play and he scored two power play goals. He pulled an Olafson. Uh, so no way Neil could get bumped from the top power play spot now, right? Like after having such a great game, like how quickly should people be rushing to add Neil after that great game versus the Kings? Though, Brian, I guess before you answer, perhaps the better option <laughs> maybe Zach Cassian who's been playing on the top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl he's having himself a good couple of games so far one goal and one assist versus Vancouver on Wednesday then another goal on Saturday versus LA also throwing those hits as per usual so if you could have an Edmonton side piece right now who would you want between Zach Cassian and James Neal I'm gonna take Zach Cassian but I understand why some people might want James Neal. He's on the top power play, and he should be there, right? When Alex Chieson, even if Chieson was playing, I would hope that they would try James Neal there. It makes a lot of sense for James Neal to be on the top power play in it, because he's a guy who can still probably be dangerous if he doesn't need to do a ton to create the opportunities himself to score, which is why being on the ice with McDavid and Dreisaitl while the other team is down a man really suits James Neal well. Uh, Edmonton is also, by the way, giving James Neal the time on ice that he got in Vegas and that Calgary could not afford to give him after he flamed out so quickly last year. So those are reasons to be bullish on James Neal. Not to go crazy for him. He's still probably the fourth or fifth biggest shooting threat on that top power planet, but he's certainly at least as valuable as someone like Chieson would have been in that spot. Uh, but Zach Cassian is probably the guy I see having more sustainable success. He played the last 20 games of last year with Connor McDavid, and that seemed to work well enough for everyone. So why shouldn't it continue? I also have this theory, Elon, and I want you to tell me what you think. 
Connor McDavid at the end of last season voiced his disappointment, or if he didn't voice it, he voiced it with his face, right? Everybody knew word was out. Is McDavid going to force a trade? Like how much longer is he going to tolerate this clown show in Edmonton? And I wonder if, you know, to, to help him along, Edmonton management was like, okay, who do you want to play with? And he's like, well, I want to play with Dreisaitl and Cassian. Like that, that's just, that's just how I feel. Because, nice story. Yeah. I, I just, like, they wa- they would want him to call his own shot to make him happy. And so if he started with Zach Cassian, then I'm guessing that Zach Cassian is who he wants to play with. And really, what's the rest of the selection right like, right? So uh, I think he's going to get to continue to play with whoever he wants. And my guess is that is Zach Cassian. So uh, that is why Cassian is absolutely worth owning. But your time to nab him is probably running out, especially in leagues where his banging helps uh, you pick up a couple points too. Yeah, so definitely take a look for him. I actually just added him yesterday, Brian, in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League. Sweden, tier one. I'm slowly but surely trying to make up for all those $1 bids. If anyone listened to our auction draft episode, I had like a lot of big bids at the start, then I had no money at the end and had a bunch of guys that had to draft at the end. A lot of them haven't worked out for me, but I've replaced one of them with Victor Olafsson. I've replaced one of them now with Zach Cassian. And I actually replaced another one of them with Mike Smith, who, Brian, he got the second start in a row on on Saturday after having a good game in the win over Vancouver on Wednesday. Saturday wasn't as good as Smith led in five goals on 32 shots, but hey, that was still good enough for the win. This Edmonton team can obviously score some goals. I guess anytime Connor McDavid is on your team, you know goals can be scored. Brian, do you think the Oilers will stick with Smith or give Koskinen a shot versus the Islanders on Tuesday? Either way, seems like Smith is the goalie to own in Edmonton at this point, right? Just like Carter Hutton in Buffalo, like the coaching staff is making it pretty clear which goalie they like if they start the guy that we thought they were going to be in a tandem, but then he starts the same guy two games in a row. So yeah, what do you think about Mike Smith? If he's going to be the starting goalie in Edmonton and not a tandem, not so bad because I feel like, like I said, all he has to do is play somewhat adequately and he should have a decent chance to win game in, game out just because of Connor McDavid. And I'm not trying to compliment Edmonton. I'm just saying that with decent goaltending, you know, it could go well. Well, I hope Smith doesn't start against the Islanders just because who wants to be deprived of the storyline of Miko Koskinen playing the team that drafted him? We always love to see that. Remember the Islanders drafted him in the second round back in 2009. And he's already played them twice, actually, with an 848 save percentage over those two appearances. Uh, so uh, I don't care. He sucks. Uh, yeah, I don't care about that storyline. No one should. Uh, I imagine that Koskinen is going to get tossed in the net at some point. But the Oilers coming out with Mike Smith starting twice in a row makes me think he's the favorite, right? And we've talked about how uh, Smith's history with Dave Tippett probably works in his favor. But my bigger answer to this question is that I still would not really want either Edmonton goalie. You're like, well, a team with McDavid has a chance of winning. Uh, but last year, the Oilers had Drysaddle and McDavid doing quite well. And uh, they did not make a really great hockey team. Uh, Fair. Yeah. But if I may, their goaltending was really, really, really bad. They had Talbot and Koskinen, and they were dreadful. Okay, but you like Cam Talbot. And now you're saying... Well, I'm over Cam Talbot now. I don't like him anymore. <laughs> because he's got a shutout. 
Yeah, Riddick got a shutout. Forget about Cam Talbot. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying that Mike Smith has, like, okay, yeah, no, I, I do like Cam Talbot, but he stunk last year. He'll tell, he'll be the first one to tell you that. Mike Smith is old as, as, as uh, I won't say the word that I was about to say, Brian, that I know you don't like, but he's an old guy, but he has had success in the league as recently as at the end of last season for Calgary and into the playoffs where Mike Smith did pretty well. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, it's kind of like uh, the situation like with Carolina last year where finally they got adequate goaltending and it made such a huge difference. The year that Cam Talbot played well for Edmonton, they made it to the playoffs, remember, back in 16-17. So <laughs> I think it's possible that... I'm not. Anyways, I'm not trying to call Edmonton yeah. a playoff team. I'm just saying that Mike Smith might be worth owning because he might not be a tandem guy like I thought he would be at the start of the season. So I see that, but Koskinen was not a tandem guy for the second half of last year, and Edmonton... Like, he was an awful person to own, and I still don't know. Okay, I know, but I, I know your that. theory here is that Mike Smith might be better than Koskinen. Yeah. And yeah, he might be. He also might get really injured, or he also might be just like an old guy who's over the hill. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in Mike Smith or the Edmonton defense. Like, this is definitely not a Carolina situation. But, okay, if you want, Elon, to bet on Smith continuing to be the 1A option, and that appeals to you, then now does seem like a safish time to do that. I just wouldn't expect him to have a whole lot of success with Edmonton. Okay. That's fair. You'll just rain on my parade. I'm trying to build up a team here and take a shot at a tier one ultimate <laughs> champion. But apparently you don't think Mike Smith is going to be part of that winning team. So we'll see. Probably by the time we record the next episode, he won't even be on my team any- anymore. You but, spent uh, the first like two months of last season telling me to drop Mike Smith. Well, yeah, because he wasn't doing well. I mean, you know me, Brian, you're the guy that needs to bring out these buckets of water, warm or cold, to cool me or warm me, because I get very excited about these uh, little things happening. That's why we're having this conversation. And anyways, nothing I could do. I already have Mike Smith, but I'm saying I think people, like, he's gone up in stock for me. I'm not saying I'm, like, over the moon crazy for Mike Smith right now. I'm just saying in a lot of leagues, he might still be a free agent, and he maybe shouldn't be. You have to see what other goalies are owned and in free agency. Uh, How about another former inaugural Vegas Golden Knight? We talked about James Neal. How about Eric Howla looking really good in Carolina? A goal in each of his three games that he's played so far with the Canes. Howla's goal yesterday came on the power play on a unit with Dzingle, Sveshnikov, Teravainen, and Hamilton. You'd think that would be the second power play since Aho isn't there. But actually, they got more minutes in the big win over Tampa Bay yesterday than the first power play unit. So it seems like the Canes are going for a balanced approach on the power play with the other unit sporting Aho, Stahl, Nichas, Niederreiter, and Jake Gardner. Man, Brian, this team is deep. I just told you two really strong power plays that could maybe be top power plays on another team. Like, Howla is playing on the third line with Dzingel and Nichas behind Aho, Niederreiter, Teravainen, and Stahl, McGinn, and Svechnikov. Wow, and now Carolina, by the way, three wins in three games, looking like a really strong contender this year. I think at this point, to me, they're the favorite to at least win the Atlantic Division, I guess, especially now with this Malkin injury news that's not helping Pittsburgh's chances, and we'll see how Washington could do. But yeah, Carolina looking really good. Anyway, Brian, I could be asking you about a lot of these guys, like Hamilton, Svechnikov, Teravine, and they're all also over a point per game. But let's look at Howla. Do you think what he's doing is sustainable? Is he worth a watch list, if not an ad? Like, you were really cool on him in the summer. But now at this point, he's succeeding so far. And don't forget, he put up a near 60-point pace with Vegas a couple years ago with a similar power play role, where you remember Vegas was like splitting their power plays pretty evenly, first power play and second power play. So yeah, has your tune changed on Eric Howla, or would you still leave him in free agency if he's 
there. My tune on Eric Haula was has been that I think in decent deployment, which he's getting, he can put up a fantasy-relevant season. So no, my tune hasn't changed, even though when you asked that question, you made it sound like I was really down on him. I like Haula's spot on that power play unit, if he can hold it. And I low-key like his even strength line with Nichas and Dezingle. And by the way, Ryan Dezingle also has delivered pretty good depth fantasy production. Uh, that's a great look for a third line. And I'd hope for half-decent production from all three of them, Howla, Dezingle, and Nietzsche's. Not top six production, but not bottom six production either. Uh, Howla's great Vegas season was built upon being on one of those power play, like evenly spread out power play units. So he's got that in Carolina right now. That's great. It was built on similar time on ice compared to what he's getting in Carolina right now. It was also built upon some unsustainable numbers, too much shooting success, but it was still a good year. And Hala is a good guy to take a chance on for 50, 55 points. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm sorry, Brian. I took your 30-point projection for Howla as meaning you were not high on him, but apparently I misheard you. So that's fair. Uh, by the way, another guy on Carolina that people are excited about is uh, Jacob Slavin, who has two goals over three games. He's been taking a lot of shots. We know with Slavin, though. He's going to go hot and cold, but maybe this Carolina team just getting better. That makes Slavin just a little bit more valuable, so you can consider him if you need a D. But, you know, believe it or not, with all these guys doing well, Sebastian Ajo still doesn't have a point in three games. So to me, like, he's got to be a clear buy low candidate at this time if someone is starting to get worried about him right like no way there's anything to worry about right no there's nothing to worry about Sebastian Ajo to be honest I'm still like I'm so not worried that I'm still thinking about Eric Haula and why like you're right I did put him for 30 points I went back to check my notes from the almanac I thought he'd be playing behind Nichas and Stahl and that he'd have to move to the wing to stay in the top nine uh but he's been able to see in the top nine. And I also didn't see a power play role for him, but I see that now. So yes, fine. I have changed my tune. Good one. Um, and Sebastian Ajo, uh, 13 shots, 19 shot attempts, 13 scoring chances, five high danger scoring chances in three games. All is well with Sebastian Ajo. Uh, don't worry that there's no points. They're going to come. Go ahead and buy low if you can. Good luck. Let us know oh. if it worked. Hey, maybe you can. I mean, like, some people don't know what they're doing. And that's your opportunity. As someone who listens to Keeping Carlson, that's your advantage. You listen to us. We tell you, obviously, nothing to worry about with Sebastian Ajo. Reach out to the Ajo owner. See if they will take, uh, I don't know, who's someone that we were just talking about that's really hot right now. Uh, Eric Hala. Probably that would be too crazy. But, you know, I don't know. You could throw someone out there. Like, uh, maybe not Zabanajad. He's pretty good. I would trade Zabanajad or, like, Mantha, who we'll get to, for Sebastian Ajo. I don't know. I would say Zabanajad and Ajo are pretty even to me. I would trade Olafsson for Aho if you could pull that off. Oh, yeah. Do that. Okay. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Ask us who you should offer for Aho. Share your lineup and we'll try our best. And tell to us help who you. you got for him. Yeah. Uh, so James Reimer, by the way, still in Carolina. He looked good in his one game versus the Caps. He picked up the win, stopped 32 of 34 shots. I mean, I don't really have a question for you. I just wanted to point it out. Like, I could definitely see James Reimer being used and producing similar to Curtis McElhenney last year on the Canes. So if McElhenney was worth owning last year in your league, then I think same goes for Reimer. Like, this guy is not done. You know, like he looked like he might be done last year in Florida, but I think he's going to be really good. And I honestly see Reimer and Morazic going pretty much 50-50. It would be hard for me to place a bet on who, like, you know, if slash when, probably when they make the playoffs, I don't even know who's going to start game one because I think both goalies have a pretty similar shot at this point. I agree with you, and it helps that Morazic laid an egg last night, stopping just 10 of 13 shots against for a 769 save percentage. Though, can you blame Morazic 
when that happened. It was against Tampa. One of the goals was on the power play. He only saw 13 shots all night. I feel like whenever that happens, goalies are always saying in post-game interviews how it's it's hard to stay fresh. Yeah, that's crazy that Tampa Bay only <laughs> took, like, what was it, 13 shots? I didn't even notice this. It's insane. And uh, they gave up something like 44. Like, Curtis McElhaney stood on his head to give up four goals. Only four goals. Yeah, on 44 shots I'm seeing. Man, Tampa Bay, come on, wake up. They'll get Braden Point back soon, so that'll obviously help. Uh, Brian, you know what's really fun? Like, I like watching these hockey games, talking about it. You know, we've got our fantasy team, so we care about that. But sometimes you want to make it even more exciting. And if you want to make a game really exciting, you know what to do. You put a couple bucks on it, then it gets really exciting. Even if it's not the team you like, you sit back after a hard day of work, you pop open a cold one, and you (laughs) place a parlay down on a couple of your favorite teams, and you watch the games, have a good time. And the best place to go and place bets on hockey this season is our uh, second uh, sponsor for this week's episode which are our friends at mybookie mybookie.ag like let me tell you guys something okay this is a little trick from the trade is that the saying trick from the trade tips from the trick of the trade trick of the trade (laughs) here it is it what matters is not only who you bet on it's where you bet you got to bet from a place that you can trust and my bookie is that place so yeah do the smart thing if you're gonna bet on hockey this season bet with my bookie we have a bonus offer for people who sign up if you use the promo code keeping carlson you're gonna get your first deposit doubled how crazy is that so if you want to put in 50 bucks all of a sudden you've got 100 bucks in your account to play with and brian i was just looking at my bookie right now trying to think of something fun to bet on they actually have calder odds available they have odds for all the different awards i wanted to ask you your opinion on the calder odds because i brought up olafson as maybe a sleeper at this point jack hughes is plus 200 which basically means he's like two to one you bet like you know ten dollars you'd win 20 you get 30 30 overall you, you know what i mean so i feel like that's like i'm not taking that bet that's crazy capo caco basically also two to one kale mccarr around four to one then like texier's next at 11 to one quinn hughes 12 to one victor olafson 14 to one so you bet 10 bucks you could get 140 so i think that would be my sleeper pick right now i think i might actually go right after we're done recording this podcast and place my bet on victor olafson bet 10 oh by the way and it'll be doubled because i'm going to use the promo code keeping carlson uh, who would you bet on for Rookie of the Year? Is there a name I haven't mentioned that you would bet on, or are some of those other odds appealing to you? I feel like you covered it. You always want to try and find... Like, it's not fun to to go for the obvious lowest odds person, right? You've got to... I've talked like somebody who knows a lot about betting. I mm. would go for the... that. Like, I, I think the 14 to 1... Usually the people or teams ranked at 14 to 1 are always the most interesting. So uh, Olofsson fits the bill there, and I would absolutely be happy if I were a betting man, to uh, to pop open a cold one and, <laughs> and place a tenner. Yeah, on mybookie.ag, and that's the promo code Keeping Carlson. Okay, so Brian, still a lot to get to. Uh, we were just talking about the Lightning. Yeah, kind of a rocky start for them. They've now lost two games in a row after their big 5-2 win over the Panthers to start the season. Like I said, Braden Point hasn't joined the team yet. One guy, though, jumping out at me who as doing really well is one of your favorites, Kevin Shattenkirk. His goal yesterday gave him three points in three games. He's also had five shots in each of the last couple of games where he's played over 22 minutes. Brian, is the old Shattenkirk back? Like, sure, he doesn't get power play one time anymore, but could something like 45 points be within reach, similar to what McDonough did last year? 
Mm, I don't think so. And you know, I like McDonough a lot. And I was probably one of the longest holdouts for Kevin Shattenkirk still being a legit point producer in the league by way of being an elite power play quarterback. But even I wouldn't have guessed that Kevin Shattenkirk would be the leading five on five minute getter amongst all Tampa Bay defensemen three games into the season. That's wild. More than Hedman. And I even more certainly wouldn't have guessed that he'd be leading that defensive core in Corsi 4 percentage as well, or shot attempt percentage as well. Mind you, it's generally looking like a tire fire for the Lightning on the back end after they were just roundly outplayed by the Hurricanes for 60 minutes, as we just mentioned. Uh, Going back to specifically Shattenkirk, though, signs of life from him are nice, and the time on ice he's getting is also nice, especially since I had envisioned him being on the third pairing along with the second power play unit. If he continues getting this much five-on-five ice time on a team that scores a ton of goals like Tampa, 40 points, I'd say, is in reach, because Shattenkirk has been a pretty bad contributor at five-on-five historically. So I'm not going to get my hopes up way too high unless he suddenly is somehow pacing sustainably for 20 power play points, which is not likely, right? Unless Hedman gets injured, that's his one chance. And even then, would Sergachev be the first guy to get to move up to the top power play unit on defense? Anyway, uh, Shankirk looks more like a good sell high candidate from his hot start than a get-him-while-you-can type. Yeah, we actually got a tweet just earlier today, and I really had trouble answering. I think I now know what your answer would be. They were asking if they should pick up Shattenkirk or Neil Pionk. Uh, I think I said Shattenkirk, but now I'm starting to think I should. I said, like, it's basically a coin flip for me. Who would you have said? I think I'd go Pionk, because I think he's the one whose team might need to lean on him more than Shattenkirk, right? I, I think this is just an aberration for Shattenkirk. I still wouldn't expect him to be leading the Tampa decor in minutes. Well, Pionk, I, I feel like the minutes he's getting are the minutes he's probably going to keep getting. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense, though. I don't know. Maybe Shattenkirk will surprise us. Like, he had some injury trouble on the Rangers. Maybe that's behind, and then the Rangers kind of hated him. It's a fresh start. When he started on the Rangers, we thought Shattenkirk was great, and that was only like a couple years ago. So we'll have to wait and see. Another fun player that we can compare Shattenkirk to is Justin Schultz, who's been seeing plenty of power play time on the Penguins. He picked up a power play assist in the 7-2 route of the Blue Jackets on Saturday. Seems like the Pens are still playing with all kinds of combos. Like They've had Galchenyuk, Hornqvist, Latang, Schultz, Gensel all like going on and off the top power play times maybe not Gensel Gensel's been on there the whole time and while that may lead to some nerves for others like this is good news for Justin Schultz right like if I'm an owner of like Latang, I'm not loving that he's potentially gonna get bumped off the top power play but if I'm an owner of Justin Schultz like sure that's not even what I was expecting and now he's seeming to get really good deployment uh so yeah what do you think about Justin Schultz at this point could he be worth at least like a half point per game this year and it sounds like you'd probably take him over Shattenkirk I'm gonna guess Yeah, I would definitely take Schultz over Shattenkirk because he's someone who's shown that in, uh, like, he gets regular opportunities to produce. And when he gets those opportunities, he's pretty good at doing it. I like his even strength play better as well. Latang owners don't, don't scare them. Elon, he's still seen a 70% share of his team's power play time. Last year, he saw 75%, but the years before that, 60-64%. So Latang is doing just fine with his power play minutes. I guess I'm a Latang owner, and I yeah. bristled when you're like, oh, look out, like Latang might be... I, I'm actually happy to see that there is a way that Schultz and Latang can coexist on the top unit. I've actually read Schultz's inclusion there as a as a nice sign, like kind of a relief. Like, okay, 
okay, this, this could work. But I don't need to worry about Schultz because he is a capable power play one worker. And uh, he could technically bump Latang, but I really don't want them to happen. I like him yeah. more than Shattenkirk either way. Yeah, okay. It sounds like you're protesting a bit too much here about this Latang. Because, yeah, no, I mean, Latang's probably fine, but he kind of worries me. I'm, I'm happy to not have exposure to him, though I can't say the same about Evgeny Malkin, unfortunately, who I have in one of my leagues, the PHL League. And oh, man, like, that was such a fun game on Saturday for the Penguins. They won 7 to 2, but it wasn't all fun and games because Evgeny pulled a Malkin. He left the game with an undisclosed injury. Turned out that he's going to be out at least a month with a soft tissue leg injury. It said in the, like, the news report, the coach said, like, okay, he's not out for the season but like like don't even start with that don't even say stuff like that like two games into the year and like i i was i wasn't even thinking about him being out for the season until you said that but yeah they say at least at least a month not great brian i actually just got offered a trade i guess someone is trying to swoop in and steal malkin from me they offered william nylander for malkin and i haven't said no yet i probably will say no but also like ugh Malkin, I'm remembering now why I've avoided Malkin in previous years. This year, I decided to go for him. I think that article on The Athletic about how he didn't like playing with Kessel and he's ready for a fresh start kind of got me excited about him. I'm really regretting it now because he's uh, injury-prone all the time. Drive me crazy. Anyways, Malkin's out. What can you do? You could obviously tell me not to trade him for William Nylander, even though he's doing pretty well on the Leafs, but uh, we'll talk about him maybe later. In the meantime, okay, so what's going on in Pittsburgh here? Jared McCann took over centering the second line with Galchenyuk and Brandon Tanev. McCann had two goals and an assist versus the Blue Jackets in that crazy game. Uh, Dominic Simone has already bumped Patrick Hornquist from the top line after the first game to play with Crosby and Gensel. Though Hornquist responded with two goals and seven shots from the bottom six and six hits in that game versus Columbus. That's the crazy thing about fantasy, right? Like, you see that Hornquist is going to be on the top line. Like, ooh, I'm going to add him. Then you see he gets bumped because he wasn't doing anything. So probably the smart fantasy player is like, okay, I guess I'm going to drop Patrick Hornquist now. And then he has, like, the best game ever. And I'm sure a lot of people were really frustrated that they probably dropped him that day. Anyways, so I've thrown a lot of names at you, Brian. Who do you think benefits from or, like, gets hurt from this Malkin injury. Who of these random guys on Pittsburgh are you most interested in of the McCanns, Simone, Hornquist, Brandon Tanev? Brandon Tanev hits, by the way. Yeah, I've, I've talked for a long time, so why don't you tell me what you think about all of these potential top six Penguins? I think you need to watch them all, and if history is any indicator, we're going to see them all get a turn, and they might just get longer turns now that Malkin isn't in the picture. So, yeah, give me Jared McCann. Give me Patrick Hornquist, who all of a sudden decides he wants to hit and shoot when he has to do it by himself and not with Sidney Crosby. And uh, Dominic Simone is the guy who's had my attention the whole time. Like he, He's the one that I think would work best on that top line with Crosby and Gensel. I just want him to get more than brief looks up there, and maybe this helps him do that for as long as Malkin is out. We also had a question on our Facebook group. I forget who, but he was asking if uh, this hurts Galchenyuk for Malkin to be out, because now he's going to be centered by Jared McCann and not Malkin. I uh, I guess so, right? But on the other hand, uh, Galchenyuk might have a better chance of sticking on the top power play. So maybe it kind of evens out? I feel like that's that's the lesson here for all of it. Like, it is unfortunate for Galchenyuk's 5-5 five and five scoring that, like, obviously... Malkin is better than McCann, even though they share a lot of common letters in their last names. Uh, But it is also like you can look at the silver lining, which is that, yeah, maybe there's a top power play spot that helps cancel that out. And it's hard because I like you're trying to get a take from me. And it's really annoying to ever give a take on Pittsburgh. It's been this way for the like duration of keeping Carlson as a podcast. Every Penguin's take is generally outdated within a week, but then you can call back to it seven weeks later and be like, yeah, what I said then. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Go back five episodes and go with what I said there about the Penguins. I think the one guy that's actually jumping out to me is Brandon Tanev. He's one assist in two games so far, but he's in the top six, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. He got that big contract, so I guess they must like him. And if you're in a league that you know benefits, if it's a bangers league, he has had nine hits over these two games and five blocks. You, normally, you don't get blocks from forwards, but if Tanev is going to give you like defenseman-like hits and blocks and be in the top six and maybe give you like half point per game, you know, that's a nice floor for you. Like, he can't disappoint you too much because he's always, always going to be giving you the hits and blocks. So he's a guy that's definitely on my radar. Maybe McCann has the most upside. Anyway, okay. Uh, Brian, I'll need you to remind me, were you one of these people saying that Columbus could still be good even after losing Panarin, Bob, and co. in the offseason? Like, I know that was a lot of the articles I was reading over the, over the offseason. Like, you know, because the obvious take was, oh man, Columbus is going to stink now. They lost all their good players. But then I was reading from a lot of different analysts saying, you know, actually, they're not that bad. Like, look at uh, Dubois. Look at this guy. Look at that guy this is a good team I, I just forget I'm, I'm not asking to make fun I'm actually just curious were you high on Columbus or low on Columbus going into the season I feel like that wasn't me like I, I was low on Columbus because okay. they lost so much firepower up front and their goaltender disappeared so why would you expect them to do as well as before yeah, I'll have to search on Twitter and find where I got that. I'm glad it wasn't you because, yeah, not looking good so far. They dropped their first game to the Leafs 4-1, and then they took that beating by the Penguins. To be fair, like, these are tough competitors for them to play, but that's what it's like in the Eastern Conference and in the NHL overall. Very competitive league. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to worry that perhaps we spent too much time discussing Corpusalo versus Merzlikens and who's going to be better when really the answer should have been neither. You know, like with Edmonton, we were like, ugh, you don't want either of these guys. You don't want Smith or Koskinen. But then we spent, like, forever debating if Corp Pasalo or Merzlikens is the guy. Maybe this is going to turn out to be a situation where you just don't want either of them. I don't know. I'm not into them right now. This Columbus team isn't looking good. Alex Texier has already been bumped from the top line. You know, Dubois, Atkinson, it was Texier there. Now Gustav Nyquist, who actually scored a goal on Saturday. So maybe one shining spot, something that you could take away from Columbus so far, is maybe you could add Gustav Nyquist, who maybe people weren't interested in after he wasn't slated to be on the top line to start the season. Uh, So what do you think, Brian? Like, are you into any of these goalies? Are you into Gustav Nyquist? And then maybe after that, we can talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois a little bit. I don't think that Columbus is so bad that I have zero interest in their goalies. Their defense is still okay, right? And they could very well stay a mid-pack team in defending their net. But of course, the goals are going to be harder to come by than they were last year. At least that's what I imagine. I still think that Columbus goalies are worth streaming. I am running Corpusalo tonight, actually, in a streaming spot against Buffalo. And so far, he's earned me 55 hundredths of a point in the cupful. So that's just going to be a waste of a move uh, if he doesn't win. They're winning 3-2 to two right now. But nobody listens to this show for live summaries of hockey games. I'm still hoping that Eunice Corpusalo can actually emerge as a half-decent NHL goalie. He's looked fine so far. And if Columbus can be good at one thing, it's probably defense rather than offense. Like, I think that's their path to success is just closing up shop uh, on the back end, defending their net, and then hopefully capitalizing on one or two mistakes a game. Uh, it's obviously a lot Easier said than done. So don't expect the wins to come easy if you're streaming in a Columbus goalie, but I wouldn't give up on them entirely just yet. Yeah, Brian, uh, Corpusalo has stopped 13 of 15 shots. He's not having a good game so far. <laughs> but just he's FYI. winning. 
He might get the win because Buffalo, for some reason, isn't taking a lot of shots this game. Let's go. Olafson, do something. Jeff Skinner scored a goal. I also asked you about Nyquist there. Uh, he, he, to me, is like the maybe guy that could be a free agent in Columbus that I'd consider adding just because he's looking like top line, top power play. Uh, in today's game, no points. So it makes me less excited about him. But not to. I don't know. You were into Nyquist going into the season, and you kind of said that you didn't expect Alex Texier to block him for long. So are you still into Nyquist, or now are you just starting to realize maybe this Columbus team won't be that good? They are beating Buffalo today, like you said. I like Nyquist the way that I'll like anyone who's on the top line in top power play, and I don't hate Dubois. Like, I, I like Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cam Atkinson as line mates, so I, I think it's a good place for him to be on the top line in top power play in Columbus, especially compared to where he was in San Jose uh, once he was traded there at the deadline. I think he's still good enough in that deployment to get into 55-ish, maybe 60-point territory, but his upside is definitely limited. So I wouldn't get too excited about him, but as a free agent, Ad, you could probably do a lot worse. Yeah, so we've talked about some potentially exciting free agents, uh, and maybe you could throw Nyquist in the list. Though in a shallower league, I think a lot of Pierre-Luc Dubois owners are concerned. Like, first of all, Tortorella made a lot of PLD owners very mad because going into the season, like one of the last practices, PLD wasn't playing on either of the power play units. It looked like he wasn't even going to get on a power play, and I've never seen a situation where a top-line center doesn't play on either power play. But that didn't happen. Like, it turned out to be a bunch of, you know, baloney. It, didn't, it ended up needing to be as big of a concern as it was for some people. Uh, Dubois was Back on the top power play with Atkinson, Nyquist, Wenberg, Jones on Saturday. Actually, today, uh, Dubois has a power play assist. His first point of the season, I believe, assisted on a goal from Cam Atkinson. And Wenberg actually got another assist. Brian, Wenberg, you called him. Look at him. He's got a point. So he's on his way to meeting your lofty expectations. Anyway... I don't know. I wouldn't be very excited if I was a Dubois owner right now. Like, we thought he was good because, you know, you looked into over the summer some numbers that he had. And even without Panarin, you said that he could be a good player. But uh, I feel like without Panarin, it's like a big loss. And I feel like this, like, 55, 60 points you were talking about for Nyquist as his upside, I really don't see PLD as having that much higher of an upside than that. Neither do I. I, I like Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's going to be a lot harder for him to score goals without Artemi Panarin, though, especially when nobody anywhere near him is stepping into his skates as his new line mate. If it is Nyquist, that's great. If it's Texier, uh, that might not be great. If it's anyone else, it's definitely not great. But the thing a lot of people forget about Pierre-Luc Dubois is that he's still just 21 years old. He's only in his third season. There's no reason to be counting him out as a legit NHL producer from the top line Uh, this thing where he's still for some reason being held off the top power play occasionally though uh, that still concerns me i don't want him to be a guy that tortorella has it out for that never ends well for the player except if they're traded away and then you know they can succeed somewhere else that that would be best case scenario if tortorella keeps holding dubois off that top power play unit but I have not lost any faith in Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think he's a 60-point centerman uh, this year in Columbus, and there's upside for more in the future. But I am with you that you don't want to get your hopes up too high. Yeah, and hey, right now we don't even have to worry about this not being on the power play. He's on the top line, top power play today, has that power play assist. And uh, let's talk, though, about another struggling center, uh, if you want to say Dubois struggling. <laughs> he just got a point today. But what's up with Eric Stahl in Minnesota? And actually, I already have an answer. I wrote that question yesterday, and I already could answer my own question. But first of all, I'll just say Stahl, pointless in two games so far, only one shot on goal over those two games. And perhaps even more concerning was he was only getting 12 and a half minutes of ice time in the 4-2 loss to Colorado on Saturday. But 
But then today, he didn't practice. And then Boudreaux said that he was given a maintenance day because he was playing through a minor injury. So maybe it was just the fact that he was slightly injured that was causing him to not get the ice time to not play well. So hopefully, if you're a stall owner, that could give you some solace and hope that he'll go back to what you were hoping for once he comes back and is fully healthy. Brian, you put a big fab bid for stall, a couple tier two Ottawa after he was dropped, but then you were outbid by Lewis from Average Time on Ice in the new Locked On Fantasy Hockey Podcast. By the way, I'm throwing a lot of things. Basically, Stahl was dropped in your division, right? And you bid, what was it, like $11, $12? You thought that would be enough. And then Lewis bid like 18 And I remember you were sad. You were bummed. You messaged me like, oh, I should have bid more on Stahl. Are you still feeling that way? Or are you starting to feel a little relief that you didn't spend that money? No, I'm still feeling badly that I did not blow more money on Eric Stahl, a legit 65-point threat, top line, top power play, rough start for him. But actually, you know what? I am. I'm really glad I didn't get him, and I think Lewis should drop him to free agency. (laughs) I I think he should cut bait. Some cost, right? I mean, I honestly don't even think you have to play mind games with Lewis. I'll bet you that if you made him a very low ball offer, he might take it. Like, a lot of people are down on Eric Stahl. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to listen to the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast to get Lewis's thoughts on Stahl. Please bring him up on tomorrow's episode, Lewis. Okay. I think what I learned from this, though, is that early on, if you get a player who the only way to acquire him otherwise would have been through the draft and in the middle of the draft, not even the tail end, uh, blow your fab. If you're in a league that has the system that the Cupful has, which is where you have a budget of $100 and every player, when you want to add them, you make a bid on them and hopefully your bid is the highest and that money gets taken out of your budget. But like, I I regret not just throwing 20 bucks and saying, okay, fine, I have 80 bucks the rest of the year. I can handle it. No big deal. I'll just strategize a little differently than I would have if I had $100. There are rare opportunities for you to really get great value out of your fab. And I feel like Eric Stahl might have been one of them. I see, I saw room for regression, like good regression coming into the season. Last year, he had a low power play IBP, a low five on five on ice shooting percentage. And as I mentioned, uh, for those reasons, I still see him as a candidate for 65 points probably more likely in Dubois territory around 60 but a really great guy to be able to just plop onto your team (laughs) Brian uh, your uh, love for these Minnesota Wild players shows no bounds like uh, or knows no bounds I'm really great with sayings today I just feel like he's not looking good so far maybe this injury like also by the way Zach Parise who you were like lauding all summer long and especially when I guess he went for like three dollars in the auction draft and you were like oh my god three dollars to Parise and then like first game of the season Parise was terrible it was like minus three killed me in my league that annoyingly counts plus minus so uh yeah I don't know Parise so all these old guys forget Parise yeah everyone drop Parise please Uh are you not gonna mention that he scored a goal in the next game yeah, he scored a goal, so he's fine. Sure. I just don't. I just don't. Know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you All love right. old guys, but no, but for good reason. It's fair, and this is good advice. And yeah, if Eric Stahl was dropped, I would probably <laughs> add him as well. But I wouldn't be too sad. I wouldn't be as sad as you about not getting him if I had to spend like twenty of my fab dollars. But uh, we'll see. I spent twelve fab dollars on Victor Olafson. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Another player I'm starting to get a little worried about is Jamie Ben. I'm not hearing any injury news about, so unless that comes out, we're going to have to blame this just on Ben. He's now pointless in three games. Only five shots over those three games. Only two hits. Ben's supposed to be like a hit guy, at least. He's not even doing that. In yesterday's loss to the Red Wings, Ben was playing on, I guess, like line three with Radic, Faxa, and Justin Dowling. WTF? What? Like, what is happening here? The other lines were Radulov, Sagan, Gurianov. Pavelski, Hints, Yanmark. So yeah, I think that makes Ben's line the third line. Also in terms of ice time, that's how it was. 
things are definitely not looking good for Dallas like overall right now. They're 0-3. Uh, ben and Radulov are actually both pointless right now. The main bright spot has actually been Rupe Hints, who has three goals in three games right now. Uh, personally, Brian, like, I'm not worried about Radulov just because, I don't know, he didn't also disappoint, disappoint us last year and Radulov is still getting top six deployment. But yeah, I'm talk me down. Like I actually don't own Ben, so I don't have to worry about it too much, but I'm very concerned about him and I don't want to give people bad advice here. What do you think? Do you think maybe Ben is just going to continue on that 56 point pace from last year or is this just simply a buy low opportunity for him? This is a buy low opportunity for Jamie Ben. It's not really exciting to see his ice time drop again, right? Three seasons ago in 1718, he saw almost 20 minutes a night. Last season, he saw just 18 minutes a night, and now Jamie Benn is averaging just 17 minutes a night with a decrease in his power play role through three games. That stinks, right? That's really unfortunate. So if he does end up on a 56-point piece, it might just be by virtue of having less opportunity to put up points than he has in the past. I think if he does get the same opportunity as usual, he could still touch 70 points. Uh, it's really unfortunate that he's not getting a fair look. I know there's leftover concern from how last year went with Ben. That's fair. I get it. But we still need to... Let's give him some time, right? Like, we're not scared about Radulov or Sagan yet. Uh, both of whom... Well, you mentioned Radulov has no points. Sagan has a single point. All of Dallas has scored just six times in three games. And three of those goals were from Rupe Hints, as you mentioned. I think... What's going to happen is Jamie Ben is still going to play like garbage, and then the owner is going to call him horse poop, and then he's going to say, okay, yeah, I'm motivated to play better now, and everything's going to be okay. Like, I'm sad Jamie Ben isn't shooting a ton. Uh, that's the one piece that I'm not sure is going to correct. I'm less confident that he's going to start shooting again. Only five shots over three games than I am that he'll start, like... 60-point pace has to be a given. He had a low 5-on-5 IBP last year, a low 5-on-5 on-ice shooting percentage. Just give him something resembling the same opportunity he's always had as a Dallas star, and he should be fine to produce above a 60-point pace. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. My dog also doesn't agree with this Jamie Ben take. Uh, but I'm not saying I disagree, but I'm a little more worried than you. Like these shots like going down and these hits going down, like just make me worried about him overall. I maybe wouldn't mind selling him if you could get something for him. Obviously, it depends what you can get. Don't give him away for nothing. Don't drop him to free agency. And obviously, another lesson here is Rupe hints, right? People should grab him. If he's still available in free agency, obvious ad he's clearly gonna hold in the top six and he's the one person producing on dallas right now uh of course on the other side of dallas's loss yesterday was the now two in oh detroit red wings who had all four of their goals yesterday scored by anthony mantha that's after a one goal two assist game versus nashville on saturday so mantha is absolutely killing it brian do you remember who was the guy that you got sniped on in phl when you had to settle for mantha like i was drafting with you and i remember you really wanted someone i honestly don't remember and then like that player got taken and then you were like oh fine i'll take mantha oh i really blew it on that last pick by not taking this guy that i wanted so now i'm stuck with mantha mantha's like the star of the league right now it was jacob voracek yeah i'd rather have mantha than voracek answer right now who would you rather have right now right this second with their respective fantasy points i would much rather have (laughs) anthony mantha moving forward who would you rather have you know i think i'd like it's close. I had them very close on my draft board. I just had a little more faith in Voracek delivering on what I thought he could do rather than Mantha, who still, you know, hadn't really had the chance to show what he could do for a full season. Uh, but I'm obviously very excited and relieved and happy to see Mantha coming out like gangbusters this season. It's kind of like Zabanejad, right? Where you're like, oh, like, oh, 
Like, is this going to continue? Should I sell high? And the answer to both of those questions is no. I already had Mantha projected for 68 points in our almanac, but obviously his current pace is not going to last. He's not going to obliterate that pace as much as it looks like. He's been on the ice for seven goals this season. Mantha scored five of them himself, assisted on the other two for a 100% IPP. His five goals have come on 13 shots, which by the way, Elon, 13 shots in two games? To quote you, yum, yum, yum. But of course, five goals on 13 shots, 38% shooting percentage, that's not going to stick. So if you own Anthony Mantha like I do, just just enjoy him. If you don't, I actually think it's more likely that you can nab him from someone who thinks they're selling high on Anthony Mantha, but you're getting a chance to acquire a 65, 70-point guy. Uh, and if that's all the, per- the Mantha owner is selling him as, uh, go ahead and grab him. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough, but I guess it depends on the dynamics of your league. But man, like such a great situation to trade. Like their line mates, Larkin and Bertuzzi, they're actually not too far behind, man. They have four and five points apiece in two games, picking right up with where they left off at the end of last season. Remember, Brian, at the end of last season, the last couple of weeks, these guys were all getting points every single game. It was crazy. It just keeps on going. And so, yeah, at this point, like I love Mantha. I love Larkin. Bertuzzi in some shallower leagues might still be available in free agency. I feel like you have to add Bertuzzi, top line, top power play if he's not uh maybe you could still get a piece of that top power play because you could maybe add taro hirose or uh dennis chalowski who are both currently on that top unit they both assisted on a mantha power play goal yesterday are you into either hirose or chalowski as someone worth adding and also what do you make of like heronic and green off the top power play right now at least heronic had two even strength assists yesterday green is now pointless in both games uh so yeah what do you make of the defense situation and also we obviously got to give this shout out to taro hirose who's having a good start i love that we spend the whole offseason being, oh, Mike Green or Philip Ronick, one of them is going to take the reins on the top power play and run with it. And it's like, oh, yeah, remember Dennis Chalowski did it last season? And that's what they want to do again this season. I guess the Red Wings feel like they have four forwards that they want to put on the top unit and they want Chalowski to, I don't know. I'm trying to make sense of this because Green and Ronick are working together on the second unit sometimes too. So maybe they want... I, I can't make sense of it. I feel like Cholowski is not going to hold that top power play spot, but I would add him while I can. As for Taro Hirose, I listened to your episode with Peter Harling, uh, mm-hmm. who shared some really great information on Hirose. But I like as I've said on the show for a while, I think he's a pretty decent player. He could be a 40, 50 point guy, but I'm not about to jump very far to reach for him uh, to get him on my roster. So it's nice to see him on the top power play unit. I don't see a candidate to really replace him there until at least Andres Afanasiu comes back, at which point I assume Taro Hirose will lose his top power play spot. Yeah, that would, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that like Hirose might not be there forever because Athanasio, I think, is the guy who was slotted in there. He was there last year. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Might be a good guy to add now if you could fit him in in the meantime. Brian, by the way, you're still uh, happy with your Corpusalo ad. He ended up letting in a goal right at the end of the third period. So now it's 3-3. And guess who scored that goal for Buffalo? Victor Olofsson. Oh, but actually Columbus just scored. So they won 4-3. to So there you go. You got your win. Yay, I got my win, uh, which is worth at this point because Corpusalo gave up Three goals on, I'm looking, I'm trying to figure this out. 18 shots. On 18 <laughs> shots, uh, I barely broke even. So thanks, Eunice Corposalo, for that experience. Yeah, and uh, Tier 2 Ottawa, expect Eunice Corposalo to be joining your free agent list again soon. <laughs> Promptly. <I think. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so while Detroit did beat Nashville on Saturday, Preds fantasy owners aren't complaining at all as the big guns have been producing like Matt Duchesne, a whopping five assists through two games, Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, all at two or three points in two games. Uh, interesting lines actually in Nashville right now. Duchesne has been centering Forsberg and Grandland, while Johansson has been centering Arvidsson and Craig Smith, who always seems to hang in there. Craig Smith and the top power play has been stacked with Arvidsson, Duchesne, Forsberg, Johansson, Roman Yosi. I don't actually really have much to talk about with Nashville. Like, I don't really have a question for you. I guess you could say if you're into Craig Smith. I'm assuming you're not. Uh, just couldn't what? leave out Duchesne's big star. Oh, you are into Craig Smith. Okay, go ahead. Have you not been listening to Keeping Carlson for the last, like, seven years? Where every other week I mention Craig Smith is a great guy to add, who has a boring name, and everybody's just, like, used to seeing him on free agency lists. But he often puts up some pretty decent streaming production. So don't be shy. For, uh, of Craig Smith. I think it's funny that, uh, like, finally we've gotten to see how the Nashville lines shake out. And much like the Red Wings top power play situation, we spent the summer going, oh, well, who's going to center Forsberg and Arvidsson? Will it be Duchesne or will it be Ryan Johansson? And it's neither of them because they split up Forsberg and Arvidsson. Uh, raise your hand if you had that figured out. I mean, it kind of makes sense in hindsight, right? Because both of them are big shooters. So why not put them on a line where they could both be the main shooters? And yeah, Matt Duchesne just gets to feed it over to Forsberg. And then great things are clearly happening. And Brian, you've always loved Matt Duchesne. You knew he was going to do well here. And like we also said all throughout the summer, like last year's numbers, and then thus this season's projections for Nashville, a lot of that had to do with a really bad power play. Like all the players on Nashville didn't get a lot of power play points. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, like something like Dom L's projection spreadsheet wasn't going to project. Forsberg or Arvidsson or Johansson for a lot of power play points because they didn't do that last year but I think it's a whole different situation now they're already getting some power play goals Matt Duchesne clearly has made a difference and so yeah I'm very excited for Nashville this year I think there's going to be a lot more goals coming Uh, okay another team piling on the goals and of course a team you have to mention if you're doing a hockey podcast in Canada I was listening to the TSN podcast Brian and it's like they had three segments and one of the segments was just about the Toronto Maple Leafs so at least for us we're doing like 19 segments and then one of them will be about the Toronto Maple Leafs but man, this team scores goals. They've scored 14 so far in their three games versus Ottawa, Columbus, and Montreal. By the way, what a game versus the Habs on Saturday. The Habs came back from being down 4-1, then won 6-5 in the shootout. Oh my gosh. That, this is what hockey's all about. I, I love it. Okay. Uh, and also, I'm a, I'm a Habs fan this year. I have Carey Price in the cacuffle, so it's really fun to cheer for him. What was I talking about? Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Anyway, like Nashville, I guess there's no point wasting time talking about how great like Marner, Matthews, Riley, etc. are. Can I say, though, I'm not surprised that Tyson Barry has gotten in on all of this offense. He has four assists in two games. Two of those points were from the second power play versus Montreal on Saturday in a game where he played 26 minutes and 15 seconds overall. I know you and Ben from Average Time on Ice and the Locked On Fantasy Hockey Podcast, you were so convinced that he'll fall hard on the Leafs compared to a 60-point pace in Colorado. Have these three games changed your mind at all? Like, the Leafs just score so many goals. Like, last year, Morgan Riley had 51 even-strength points along with his 21 power play points. So it's not even as if, like, Barry needs top power play. Even if he could just do it even-strength, what, you know, Riley did last year, he'd probably be good for 60 points. So, yeah, I don't know. Good start for Barry. Have you changed your tune, or are you still thinking that he's not more than a 50-point guy this year? You asked if three games ever changed my mind. Do three games ever change my mind? And also, I don't think I ever said that Tyson Barry would fall hard, to, to quote your question. I I think that's what you heard when I disagreed with you that he would be the top power play quarterback. But I guess I've been wrong about this already, about not changing my tune. So are you sure I said that? (laughs) 
Well, I know Ben for sure wrote a whole article about how Barry's not going to be good. And the reasoning was because so many of points last year came on the power play and now he's not going to be on the top power play. So there's no way he'll be able to do the same. And then my counterpoint now is like, Maybe he doesn't need the power play to get a ton of points. Like maybe he could get a ton of even strength points that he used to not get in Colorado. So it's obviously too early to say. Wanted to point it out. Yeah, I mean, I've got him for 50 points. I think that's still just fine. I don't think that's being too negative, but I'm going to hold him there. You're right that Toronto is a great spot to put up five-on-five offense, but Barry is going, that's not just going to be a bonus for him. He's going to need to take advantage of that to make up for less power play time on a team that scores uh, fewer power play goals than Colorado did too. So whatever time he does get on the power play, they're not as successful as that Avalanche unit was where he was just racking up the PPPs. Well, I don't know. That was last year. This is this year. Might be different. Toronto, but also I guess Toronto does this, and they, they score a lot of goals uh, in the first few games of the season. And sometimes they slow down, so we'll have to wait and see. But right now, Barry's looking to be more like a fifty-five point defenseman. But whatever, nitpicking. Let's wait and see. Just wanted to bring him up. Another example, by the way, of saying power play isn't everything. On the other side is Andreas Janssen, who appears to be in an amazing spot on his line with Matthews and Nylander, and on the top power play with Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Riley. But three games in, the Leafs have scored. 14 goals and Andreas Janssen has zero points like and like by the way he plays with Austin Matthews and even strengthened on the power play Matthews has five goals so far in three games no assist for Andreas Janssen I don't understand how he doesn't get an assist on them like I feel like I could go in and probably get an assist on a Matthews goal like this guy's killer so would you be concerned as a Janssen owner like it's hard to drop someone on the top line and top power player I guess you could say top six and top power play uh, but like maybe he's just not a focal point of the offense like I think of like last year Zach Hyman he wasn't on the top power play but, like he was on this line with Marner and Tavares who both got like over 90 points but you know like Hyman still was barely a 50 point guy so I wonder if Andreas Janssen maybe has a role like that where his job is to clear the way or something so that the real offensive studs can do their work okay chicken little I don't get so worried about Andreas Janssen it sounds very dramatic for you to say Toronto has scored 14 goals and he's had zero points, but Janssen has only actually been on the ice for three goals. It's unfortunate. What? Yeah. How? It's un- what do you mean how? So weird. Like, because Matthews has five goals. I thought they play together. I guess uh, Toronto's doing weird stuff. Well, also consider the power play? The, yeah, Janssen is on the top power play, supposedly. He's supposed yeah. to be on the top line, the top power play with Matthews. Yeah, okay. So I don't know if there was like a time or two where he wasn't on that top unit. Anyway, it's unfortunate that Janssen did not point on any of those three goals, but his IPP is around 65-70%, which means I'd expect Janssen to get a point on 65-70% of the goals scored while he's on the ice. So once Elon Janssen has been on the ice for 10 goals, and he doesn't have, say, five or six points on those 10 goals... Let's come back and wring our hands about it then. For now, let's not waste our breath. All right, that's fair. But like, I just, I'm just saying that I was excited about him to maybe like really break out this year. Like, I'm not saying like I'm panicking on someone who like has used to, you know, it's not a Jamie Benn situation. Like, Janssen had a 48 point pace last year, right? So we were super excited about him. It might be possible that that was misguided, but hey, he does have an assist today on a Nylander goal. So now he has one point in four games. There you go. And a great buy-low opportunity for anybody thinking like Elon. So what do you, what's your projection for Janssen this year? Do you remember? Or like, what would you make it now if you had to pick it off the top of your head? I think I still like him for like 55. Maybe he can even get 60. Oh. I, I really like what he's doing there. 
Okay, I think we're on the same page then. I feel like a lot of people have him higher. Like, you know, there's been people who, like, Victor Olafson, you know, we're tweeting about him, and the people are like, who should I drop for him? And Andreas Janssen is an option. People are like, I don't want to drop Janssen. He's on the top line, top power play with Matthews. But if you're saying, like, 55 points, that's not, like, you know, I think people are more excited about Janssen in that spot. 55, this is new NHL, Brian. Like, there's a lot of goals being scored. 45 points, I mean, 55 points is not that much, actually. No, so I, I I did say up to 60. I think my official projection was 58 points. I just like that he's going to be there all season long. If I was choosing between him and Olofsson, well, he already has essentially, or at least it seems like he has, solidified what we hope Olofsson has, which is top line, top power play all season long. So I like Janssen to keep his spot more, which is why Wait. I'll take him over Olofsson. You're crazy. You, I, I, I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> Olafson is killing it right now. He's a big part of the offense. How would you take Olafson, like, or Janssen over Olafson? That's a crazy take. That's a crazy take, Brian. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess uh, it's just one of those crazy takes we'll watch all season long. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. <laughs> Let us know if you're at Team Elon or no hashtag Team Elon or hashtag Team Brian on whether you'd rather have Andreas Janssen or Victor Olafson right now. Okay, let's end. I can in tell you si- who I want more right now. Well, the way fantasy works, Brian, I don't know if you played. Uh, once you add a player and drop a player, sometimes someone else takes I'm the player. I'm not saying and they- I would swap one out for the other. Uh, well, I would. I w- if uh, if I. I'm not saying I would drop Olofsson to add Janssen. I would do the reverse. I still think at the end of the day they're going to have similar points. Okay, maybe. Well, I guess it's possible. I'm really I'm really high on Olofsson right now. But yeah, I think right now we're on the same page that you probably do want Olofsson and ride the hot streak. I'm just arguing also just for Brian. We ha- you know it's the first episode of the regular season. <laughs> Got to get a staple in here and have at least one argument. Okay, next. It's all, you know, like, guys, this is all like a play act. Afterwards, Brian and I, like, go off and we have fun. Like, we're, we're good friends. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. We're good friends. Uh, okay, yeah. I wanted to We don't talk Saint- outside of recording the show, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end in St. Louis. I've got a Keeping Carlson classic question for you. So another staple here. Brian, who the heck is Sammy Blaze? He's been playing on the second line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. And his lot in life is looking pretty good. He has two goals and an assist through two games versus Washington and Dallas. Plus, the dude has thrown six hits in each of those games uh st louis is playing today i guess i could get oh yeah and it's over so toronto uh lost to st louis three to two sammy blaze another point he got an assist and three hits so this guy is doing very well on his line with ryan o'reilly he's throwing a ton of hits how could you not want to add him in a bangers league and even maybe not in a bangers league like i don't uh, uh, sorry i i just want to say like last year sammy blaze had four points in 32 games so it's like where is this coming from it's coming from montmagny quebec that's where the 23-year-old Sammy Blaze was born. He's a grad of the QMJHL, where he played with Victoriaville, where he was playing when St. Louis drafted him all the way down in the sixth round of the 2014 NHL entry draft. And over 150 games in two and a half years in the AHL, Sammy Blaze has pretty much proven what he needs to prove there. He actually approached a point-per-game pace on the tail end of his AHL time, including some very respectable goal-scoring totals. And now... Here Blaze is getting to be in an offensive top six role with a top end centerman and a pretty good wing in David Perron. You contrast that with last year when Blaze uh, had just those four points in 32 games. Uh, he was averaging fewer than 10 minutes of ice per night and he played with fourth liners for the large, large, large majority of them. So what we're seeing with Sammy Blaze right now is a story about opportunity and it's one he's taking advantage of. He is absolutely a must add in bangers leagues. Anyone who puts up that many hits 
uh, is already almost worth adding. And then he's getting top six deployment. Absolutely worth adding. I'm not going to say that Blaze is going to keep scoring on half the shots he takes, of course. But if he can notch 20 goals while throwing like 250 hits or whatever, that is fantastic value. So in Bangers Leagues, you can't ignore Sammy Blaze. And also, there's no one really nipping at his heels to take his deployment, right? Robbie Fabry is done like, St. Louis is done trying him. It sure seems that way. He's playing with Bozak on the third line. Uh, Jaden Schwartz is nicely set aside Tarasenko and Braden Chen. So I see this spot as blazes to hold, which is really nice. He did kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, so good for him. Now that you tell me that he's from Montmagny, Quebec, I think maybe his name isn't pronounced Blaze. <laughs> That's such a cool name. It's B-L-A-I-S. It's probably like Blaze. Or something, though. It's a lot cooler to say Sammy Blaze. His friends call him Alundra. Okay. Uh, anyway, psych, just kidding. We're not ending on St. Louis. We got one more team I want to talk about. Gotta talk about the Washington Capitals. So three games for Jacob Verana so far. Three points. And that was all from a line with Oshi and temporary center Lars Eller because Kuznetsov has been suspended. Now Kuznetsov is going to be coming back from suspension. So you got to think Verana's situation could only get better. Like he already wasn't on the top power play, by the way. It's not as if like Kuznetsov coming back is going to bump Verana from the top power play. There's Richard Panic there. So Kuznetsov will bump Panic. And uh, by the way, in practice today, Kuznetsov was actually practicing on the third line, uh, since apparently the Verana, Eller, Oshi line were doing so well together, they want to keep them together for another game. Anyway, Brian, Jacob, Verana, 20% ownership on Yahoo. That's way too low, right? Like, do you think that this can be his big breakout season and maybe he can get around 60 points? I thought last year could be Verana's big breakout year. Uh, this year looks even better. He's age 23. He has room to grow. Last year, he didn't get the minutes, but so far this year, Verana is finally getting that top six deployment we've wanted to see him get, averaging nearly 17 minutes of ice over his first three games. And now I just want to see Kuznetsov be a centerman uh, rather than Lars Eller. And then we're off to the races with Jacob Verana. So yeah, 20% owned is indeed too low. Oh. Yeah, definitely. And hey, like right now it's going well with Eller, but I wouldn't worry about like Kuznetsov. If you have him, he'll play on the third line for maybe a game or two, and then he'll eventually get in the top six. There's no way Kuznetsov is getting held down by Lars Eller. But uh, something that's interesting, maybe for daily fantasy or something, like grab Eller for at least another game or two while he's in that good spot. Another guy that's interesting to me on Washington is Radko Gudas in a negative way. Uh, like It's kind of weird. He only has one hit and two blocks through three games, but he has two assists. So it's all flipped. Like you draft Radko, Radko Gudas for the hits and blocks and he's not like one hit in, in three games for Gudas I would have never expected that I don't think the points will continue but Brian like maybe the hits won't continue either so I just want to say like if, if you drafted Radko Gudas for his peripherals might be time to start looking for someone else like maybe he's not going to be expected to play such a physical game for the Caps as he did back in Philly I 100% agree. It's too early to say what the whole season has in store for Radko Gudas, but the early returns are poor. We wondered if him going to the Capitals was going to be a way for him to, you know, re-sort of juvenate his numbers and career, get up back near the 20-minute mark for ice time that he was seeing during his best days in Philadelphia. But Gudas has continued to see his deployment fall in Washington, getting decidedly third-pairing minutes. You can absolutely drop him until that changes. You can't put up a lot of points, blocks, or hits when you're a defenseman playing 16 minutes a night. Yeah, I agree. 
drop Goodass and Brian. We've got to talk about one guy who I guess Peter Harling and I left out in our rookies episode because we didn't realize he was going to make the team yet. Ilya Samsonov ended up getting the backup job in Washington. Phoenix Copley got sent to the minors. I was very surprised by this. I think we talked about Copley in our almanac as someone who's, you know, kind of decent because Holtby kind of struggles at times. But now all of a sudden we've got Ilya Samsonov, this heralded prospect who we thought is going to be the goalie of the future for Washington. He's on the team right now. So far, so good, by the way. He stymied the Islanders, stopping 25 of 26 shots in the win on Friday. Meanwhile, Holtby is sporting only a 900 save percentage through two games. I, I don't want to say the sky's falling for sure on Holpe, but we have seen him lose starts before. Like, we remember Grubauer a couple of years ago stole the starting job from Holpe when Holpe was struggling. Do you think if Samsonov is as good as his pedigree suggests, maybe he could end up playing a lot more than Copley did last year? Like, I'm not saying that I think Holpe's going to lose the job, but maybe this is like a Saros-Rene type of situation where Samsonov could actually get a decent number of games? Saros upside seems reasonable, but I also... I'm different than you than in that I believe more in Holtby than you do to be a guy who's going to be really hard to take the job from. I know we saw Grubauer do it, but Grubauer is like for sure an excellent goalie. We haven't seen enough of Samsonov yet to know, and this will be my chance to remind everyone that Holtby was really, really poorly protected last season by his defense. His own, like the troubles that showed up in his numbers were not all his own. I would doubt that Samsonov would do a whole lot better if he saw similar defense being played in front of him. Uh, So Holby is still definitely the number one goalie, but as is the case with goalies anyway, nothing is guaranteed when there's a capable contender in the picture. And I'm very curious to see if Samsonov can be that capable contender. I would love to see him get, you know, a start each week so we can start uh, building a bit of a resume that we can judge him on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Holby, to be fair, like, wasn't that great last year? 9-11 save percentage, 9-07 the year before. So I'm starting to lose faith in Holpi as, like, a really great goalie in the league. I think a lot of people already have. Like, in a lot of the drafts I did over the past couple of weeks, Holpi was falling pretty far. And yeah, we haven't seen Samsonov in the NHL yet. He was kind of, like, doing really well in the KHL for four seasons. He has, like, 9-26, 9-36. I'm looking at save percentages, like, super high. Looks like he didn't do so well with the Hershey Bears last year in the AHL, only 8-98 save percentage. So we'll have to wait and see. But, like, this is not a nobody. Like, Samsonov was drafted 22nd overall in 2015. I think Washington expects him to be their number one goalie one day. And yeah, definitely someone to watch. And if you own Holtby, you might want to look at the cuff. I don't know. I would wait and see. Uh, Brian's saying that you shouldn't be too worried. I'd be a little worried just because Holtby's not doing so well. I would cuff Hellebuck before I cuff Holtby. Oh, I would drop Hellebuck. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not into Hellebuck at all right now. I would try to trade him for anyone that I can. But yeah. Uh, Brian, we did it. Our first episode of the season. We've covered a ton of ground. I'm already really excited for the next episode. I still already have like a lot of things I want to ask you about, but probably two hours is enough for now. But yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in, joining us for another season of the show. We're going to try to make this our best season yet. If you somehow stumbled on the show, but you're not subscribed, now's the time to do so. I just heard recently that actually the way that I iTunes is ranking podcast now isn't even as much about reviews. It's more about subscriptions. So please do us a favor, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll get all of our content every single week. But of course, we also wouldn't mind a five-star review on iTunes or whatever service you listen to. If you want to help support the show, it would really help us out. Cost you nothing. You're already on the internet. We know you don't want to recommend our show to your league mates because then they'll know all the tips that you're getting. So the least you can do, if you don't mind, give us a review, give us a subscribe on iTunes. Of course, if you want to really, really support the show, you could 
join our Patreon community. We're having a blast right now. The Facebook group is lit. You could ask your advice questions and you get answers not only from myself and Brian sometimes, always at least one of us, but you also get advice from all of the really knowledgeable patrons. It's a lot of fun and we're all helping each other out. And also you support a show that you like and you get some other perks. So you can check all that out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, I'm good to ask you to cue the outro music and read us the credits. All right. I will cue that outro music. It's going to be my job this week, I guess, and read you the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Michael, Michael, Dustin, Simon, Bjorn, Jared, and Cameron. Thank you so much uh, for supporting what we do. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World. Great job, as always, Brian, and we'll be back to our regularly scheduled Sunday show, so you can listen to it on Monday on your way to work next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun. <laughs>